Hello and welcome to a very special edition of the Snooty, excuse me, sorry, the Sporty Ushers podcast. Uh, this is Dave and with me tonight is my very good friend and fellow sports enthusiast, James. How are you doing, James? I am very well. I am very well. So, Dan and Rich are with us this evening. Um, so, we are going to go in a little bit of a different direction. So, I have a bonus podcast tonight uh, where James and I, who are both uh, massive uh, sport fans, uh, we're going to ramble on for the next hour or so about uh, all things sport that are going on in the world. I guess to kick things off, James, uh, it's been a long three months. I mean, the, the Premier League's back and uh, sports are, uh, are slowly uh, coming back. Uh, so how did you fill the sporting void during the lockdown period? Did you find anything? I mean, we did a, we did a podcast, didn't we, on, uh, on Hollywood's mm-hmm. um, sort of sporting output. So beyond that, did you watch anything that you want to tell us about? Oh, yes. So we did. Well, we, we did kind of mention it as we were going through the, um, the kind of the weekly podcast, podcast that we were doing. But um, the sort of, uh, if, if people know, I live, I live up in Edinburgh, I live in Scotland and BBC Scotland put together some some really good sports documentaries about about kind of various um various kind of or some other sports as well that were all really really interesting and basically just so um i would recommend individual ones but basically just go on the go on the iplayer um go on the the scotland kind of channel the bbc scotland channel and just basically take your pick they're all they're all really good the one that i would if i was going to pick one out in particular um it'd be uh scotland 78 a love story uh which is basically just <laughs> some a collection of really brilliant stories about all the Scotland fans who went to the World Cup in 1978 in Argentina, um, alongside a recap of the of the hopes and dreams that they had for the tournament and how the kind of tournament um, unfolded. Um, but he's got some brilliant stories of of people selling their businesses, cars, putting together bus tours that they thought they could just drive from the north of South America right down to Argentina. Um, that's that's a really good, really really good documentary. That's that's really interesting, a really good time capsule. Um, so they, they've been really really good. Um, obviously. BBC Scotland also put together a whole bunch of uh, classic FA, um, Scottish FA Cup finals, which were all which were all absolute crackers. Obviously, they had the pick of the matches, but some of those matches and some of the uh, last day of the seasons where it was going down to Rangers and Celtic both needing to win um, to win the win like title deciders. They're all there's some really 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 interesting matches that I kind of followed from afar, but being able to just relive that, relive that drama for 90 minutes again was just just fantastic. Um, kind of more recently, um, just towards the end of lockdown, um, the on, again, on the iPlay, the classic test matches that that they've been showing on on BBC uh, still on the iPlay between England and West Indies. Some absolutely fantastic matches that go down. It's just great to see like how cricket and how sport has kind of evolved over the last sort of 25, 30 years. Um, just and just the ferocity of like the West Indian bowlers in especially in nineteen eighty four when the ball is so fast that even when even when the English batsmen like hitting the ball properly, the ball's still going going really, 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 really straight because they're just but the balls get into them so quickly that uh, even the cover drives are going pretty straight just because the and then they kind of knock off three hundred and forty odd in like sixty overs, <laughs> and you see like Richie Benno before the last inning saying they're kind of going to they're going to be lucky to be able to get for a draw. And they end up just hammering the runs like in in a, a rate that even even modern day would be something really impressive. Uh, Greenwich's uh, innings on the last day is just two hundred not out at, at Lords. It's just a, a phenomenal piece of batting. Um, then you've got the the Gooch century. From ninety as well, uh, Dominic Cork's hat trick in ninety five. There's like four in the two thousand tests where the England kind of finally started turning the 
turning the tide back about sort of winning test matches. That was that was a that was really good to see as a sort of development of the England team that obviously then five years later then went on to win the Ashes. Uh, one of the one of the great moments of uh, of English sport. Um, I think yeah. the whole thing, like with with any of that, what I, I've quite enjoyed by watching um, the the classic sport. Like I mean, I, well, I'll go back to talk about sports scene in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like so when we were younger, like you remember watching those games. Yes. And you thought, right, that is the this is the pinnacle of of sport and things don't get any better. And you think like when um like like Becker and Lendl are smashing the ball at each other, it's never gonna get any better than that. And then you watch it now and it just looks so like it's almost like it's in slow motion. I mean, yeah. maybe not the cricket, but like mm-hmm. it's in slow motion some of the time. You know, and just how much the game has changed, and like even just with the evolution of the strips, you know, remember yeah. like you remember now, like what like I remember watching the '86 Scotland strip, the Scotland games from '86, and they've got the baggy shorts and the baggy mm-hmm. tops and stuff like that now. And you watch it now, man, you can't get a credit card down. Those shorts yeah. are so skin tight, aren't you? But, yeah. um, but like. As I say, I, I, I didn't catch any of the cricket, but I have spoke to you about it. I mean, it yeah. must have been amazing to see those West Indians oh, yes. like, at their peak. At that. I mean, it must have... It's when fun. you see them, they're big boys now. But oh, yeah. can you imagine back then? Like, it must have been terrifying. It's really strange because it's like, it's like 84 and then to 90. You can kind of see the... Like, and then then even from like... You know, like the most recent one is like 2000. And there's... Um, there's kind of a... Oh, this, oh, sorry, one thing before I move on. Uh, 90, 1984 has got Mike Gatting in as the... He's the new young oh, God. <laughs> and he's like the sprightly one in the field. It's really weird. And then Jeez. like two thousand, there's like um like someone hits it away and like Darren Goff runs in and kind of he kind of slides and catches it. He runs about sort of fifteen yards, slides and catches it. And the crowd goes absolutely insane. Like it's and, and I think it's Benno says, Oh, it's one of the great catches of all time. And you think now, like after Yeah, we'd get in the top twenty, was it? Yeah, yeah, you think about Ben Stokes at the World Cup last year, that dive and catch on the on the boundary to against uh, against the West Indies, wasn't it? Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. And so you compare that how the athleticism moved on. Um, just, just it's just really fantastic to like be able to see. Like obviously people are high quality, um, but you do think like some of the batsmen would have been um, would have been blown away by sort of modern. Yeah, they wouldn't have a chance, would they? Bowlers, yeah, yeah. I think for the thing that I've kind of watched the most. I mean, you, you touched on um, on the documentaries, and mm-hmm. the, the one I would say is probably the most interesting. If you're not a massive sport fan, um, would be um, the Real Kashmir um, one. Uh, mm-hmm. I, th- I don't think that's on there, but the Return to Kashmir FC yes. is on there still. I think, um, and it's David Robertson who was a fullback for uh, Aberdeen Rangers Leeds United uh, he got injured quite early in his career um, and he was so desperate to sort of forge a managerial career for himself that he moved to Kashmir mm-hmm. which is the most sort of militarised uh, area in the entire world and you've got this like kind of really sweary Scotsman <laughs> like when he's doing his talking head to the camera he's fine he's really eloquent and everything like that but then when he's on the uh when he's on the training pitch, it looks like a chewing the fat sketch. <laughs> you know, he's just he's just effing and jeffing, and you've got all these kind of this collection of players from around the world and local <laughs> boys, and and uh, some of the stuff he goes through to get a team on the park is just incredible. And <laughs> uh, so that's definitely definitely worth a watch. But I really enjoyed the the sports scene classics. It became a bit of a, a ritual during lockdown yeah. for my brother yeah. and I, because uh, I am Scottish, but I live down here in Gateshead. Um, so uh, my brother and I would 
uh, over Zoom or house party or whatever the app of the day was, uh, and we'd watch a classic match. And you know, the, the sort of the most famous Scottish Cup final of my lifetime was in 1991 when Motherwell beat Dundee United four mm-hmm. three. Um, and uh, I'm from a town Hamilton, which is kind of this sort of town over. Um, so my cousins are big Motherwell fans, so that we were really invested in that game. Uh, so I got a lot out of that, and uh, just harking back, another documentary that I watched over lockdown was called Steel Men, um, which was about that 91 Scottish Cup final winning team. Now, I went to that game when I was, I was 14, I think, um, but I had no idea what it what it really meant in the in the grand scheme of things. And basically in 1991 was when the steel industry, because Mother was a big steel town, um, there's a place called Ravenscraig, which was big steelworks and it employed the entire town pretty much. Uh, and that had just been shut down and there was loads of people losing their jobs and the, the, it was a really horrible time for North Lanarkshire. I mean, I was 14, completely oblivious to all of that, but I didn't realise just how important that Scottish Cup run and eventually that Scottish Cup win was for the town and how much it helped people and stuff. So that was really cool. Um, but I think the thing that really caught me, because um, they showed pretty much every game that Scotland played at a World Cup <laughs> or a European Championship, like over a weekend, they'd show the three games because obviously, famously, Scotland have never got past the first round in anything, so we only ever play three games. So they, show all, they showed all three games, and, and just going back and watching how good a team we were, mm-hmm. and uh, how... So there's, there was times, obviously, losing to Costa Rica and, and uh, Italia 90, losing to Morocco and Fr- France 98 and stuff, uh, but there was times where we were just really unlucky, mm-hmm. you know, and... and I just kind of wish I remembered it more because I I don't know when that's ever going to happen again. Uh, but just but I, the one thing that struck me and you, you mentioned it before is is the difference. So watching Scotland play in Mexico in '86, like we didn't realise like we faded towards the end of every game mm-hmm. because these guys just they won they wouldn't have been acclimatised they wouldn't be anywhere near as fit as they are now, um, and uh, it just was. Really, you could really tell the difference in fitness levels compared to like the boys now would just go out there and obviously they'd have like a hydration coach and they would have water breaks and everything. Whereas these boys probably were in the pub two nights before and they're out trying to beat Brazil and stuff, you know. But um, so I think the sporting classics definitely, uh, definitely got me through. Um, and uh, I'll just mention one uh, documentary that I watched on Netflix was uh, was. Um, the Michael Jordan um, yeah. uh, Chicago Bulls uh, documentary, which was the just one of the best sort of uh, the last dance. Goodness yeah. me, the, the name was escaping me, yeah. uh, and that was was just uh, some of the best TV I've watched for a long, long time. So that's worth checking out on Netflix as well. Um, there's um, well, another another um, we've kind of mentioned sporting um, yes. Valley, kind of Gary Lineker has made some really interesting. Um, Kind of films through his, well, through his, I think it's called Gold Hanger sort of film. He's made some documentaries that have kind of been on sort of late night, Saturday night on BBC One. Um, uh, he did one about like catching up with sort of the people from Euro '96, and um, we did one on gas on Gaza. Uh, I think I think it's called Gascoigne. It's not the it's it it covers a lot of ground of the 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 Gascoigne documentary that's on um, that's on Netflix. But it's like an hour long one. That's that's really interesting as well. Um, and then he did one he did one six years ago that's actually he was actually on on this weekend. Um, with uh, Alan Hansen. Um, oh, excellent. Player, player pundit. And it's, it's only been six years, but it, watching it, I was kind of like, oh, wow, that was a, that feels like such a long time ago that Alan Hansen was a, was a pundit. And it kind of reminded me that he was a fantastic pundit. Oh, he um, was. Great. was. And uh, that whole thing of him, like, being a miserable 
miserable sort of always talking about defending that that I remember that at the beginning of his career, but he actually he seemed to make a conscious effort to not talk about that for most of the most of his kind of career. He kind of moved away from that. Um, yeah, yeah. But it's just so it's, it's. I think that'll still be on the iPlay, and that's a. Uh, that I'll just. I'll, what was it? What was it called? Because I'll really check that down. I think it's called I'll just Alan Hansen player pundit or something very similar. Uh, it, it, well, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah that's, I will that's give that a look. Definitely really interesting. Sort of, and there's a bit when he sits down with um, uh, Graham Souness and Ke- Kenny Dalglish. Uh, the golf oh. itself, and it's just the, the three of them just bantering. It's, there's not really much. There's not a lot of in-depth analysis of anything. It's just just fun to see the three of them kind of banter. Oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, excellent. Okay, so we're going to go on and uh, talk a little bit uh, about sport in general. So sport is back, man, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, yeah. And it is fantastic. So as we are recording this podcast. It is Tuesday, the fourteenth of July. So at this point, um, everyone has played. Let me guess, thirty-five games. Yes, is that correct? Yeah. Manchester United drew two each with Southampton last yeah. night um, to make. Sorry, everyone at this point has played thirty-five games. So they've got three games of the regular season to go. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about uh, the Premier League uh, in a minute. But uh, just a few sort of things that are in the news this week. Um, uh, we did a, a bit of an in memoriam section in the the Snooker Film Podcast a couple of days ago. Um, we're going to do a little bit of it here because uh, Jack Charlton passed away on Saturday, um, which was about a couple of days ago. Um, now, obviously, he um, I don't know if you remember this, James, but uh, in 1966, um, England won the World Cup. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, I, I've heard about this. I, I think some some st- statisticians have mentioned it a few times, but uh, yeah, I, yeah. It, 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 to be honest, it barely comes up in the no, media. Yeah. But, we, uh, we don't like to talk about it as 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 England football fans. We don't like to talk about that. Uh, no, no, you're you're yeah. always very I'm quite reserved about it. Yeah, yeah. And, and as a result, um, Scottish people don't resent the hell out of you for it, which is also really yeah. nice. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but um, so obviously, Jack Charlton was part of that team. Um, but I think for for both of us, he'll always he'll be remembered more for his role as the Republic of Ireland manager. Yes, um, in yeah. the 90s. Um I will never. So the the two tournaments I obviously remember was uh, Italian ninety, um, when obviously Scotland uh, gloriously went out following defeats <laughs> to Costa Rica and Brazil. Um, whereas I'll never forget the um, the Republic of Ireland's penalty shootout with Romania mm-hmm. and Genoa. Um, I always remember it because it was in the same stadium where we played played Sweden because it had like these kind of like sort of stone pillars behind the goals mm-hmm. um, and uh, Paddy Bonner who was the Celtic goalkeeper through the 90s um, was obviously in goals for, for Republic and uh, he saved the penalty against Romania to put the Republic of Ireland through the second round which was fantastic um, and I think probably the, the World Cup after that in 1994 where uh, neither Scotland or England qualified yeah. Yeah. Um, that was I think that was the time where I think everyone in Britain Mm-hmm. Like decided they were all going to be Irish for a summer, you know, and uh, I think you probably remember uh, it was ninety four your first World Cup that you really. Yeah, I've got some memories of your your ninety two. I can kind of remember sort of little bits and pieces of it, and then but it was ninety four is my first World Cup that I that I remember the first tournament that I remember, um, and I sort of got to stay up late to watch the matches. Um, but the uh, and I think a little bit of it was I think the fact that neither England or Scotland or anyone else was there. It meant that the only team that I could just you could just focus on Ireland and you didn't have that disappointment of England losing in this quarterfinals, whatever. 
um, would, would probably would have happened. Um, How yeah, did she get to the quarterfinals? Yeah, was? <laughs> yeah. The, um, but it's just that that um, Ray Houghton kind of like almost oh, like that a goal against the, uh, Italy, wasn't it? He yeah, scored it, the it, like, like an absolute rasp. Nice lob that he does. Yeah. And they go one and up, and then they kind of defend for the lives for the next uh, sort of eighty minutes. Well, actually, it's not even. It's not even like a. They just really play really well for like eighty minutes, and it was. It's one of the. I think that result kind of really got me into the torn into sort of following Ireland, and then into the tournament as well. Um, but I also think that by that time, Jack Charlton was he was he definitely like an elder statesman kind of like um, sort of figure in in sort of international football almost. Um, yeah. And uh, I think he just came across such like almost like a like a jolly uncle sort of thing. I think to everyone, um, and he just seems like it just seems like like the the way he kind of put together um, a team of because people say they had good players like people like David O'Leary um, like Ray, Ray Houghton himself, and yeah. good, good players. But compare them to the pe- players with like someone like Damien Duff or Roy Keane, um, or Roy Keane or Robbie Keane. They would have they were levels above sort of any of the players that played for Ireland in the eighties. Skill wise, anyway, but the yeah. he got them playing together so well, and there was so that I, I like him to like the the crazy gang of like the the of Wimbledon in the in the in the eighties and late eighties and what they how they managed to overachieve for so long. Um, it's just like a, a uh, an, an an international kind of manager. It's one of the best jobs that any sort of British manager has ever done. Like, yeah. I think you can probably put it up there with like. Oh, I think well, to mention it again, like obviously Ramsey's sort of sixty-six, kind of sure, yeah, yeah. But then I think you've got to put it alongside. So if you think about Bobby Robson, even Bobby Robson, yeah, definitely. It's, it's only really ninety that he does well, like kind of unformed eighty-six. But compare, and we didn't do anything at eighty-eight. And um, compare, like what Jack Charlton did, did with uh, with Ireland, kind of goes right up there along, alongside sort of Bobby Robson's spell with England. I think, yeah, definitely. And I think you know the because you could. You could identify with Ireland in the nineties because there was so many Scottish players in there, or players yeah. who played. I mean, obviously, Ray Houghton's Scottish or was born in Scotland, um, and then uh, it's like Pat Bonner played for uh, played for Celtic, and there was a couple mm-hmm. others in there: Tommy Coyle, Owen Coyle. Um, whereas uh, and there's, there's a, there was a few Englishmen in there, like Paul McGrath, and mm-hmm. like is that Paul McGrath? I got that right, didn't I? Yeah, I'm not, yeah, I've got yeah. the right person. Um, and then famously Tony Cascarino, um, <laughs> who was uh, what was this, what was the story? He he had Scott, he had Irish grandparents, but yeah. it turns out he was adopted, so then, he yeah, didn't qualify or something. Yeah, on someone's deathbed, they kind of confessed that that they'd been adopted, so he didn't actually have any any Irish any connection to Ireland at all. I think. So the then, then there was always the jokes about oh, if you drank a pint of Guinness, you got on yes. the Ireland team, and yeah. and I mean, that's so rife now. Like, I mm-hmm. mean, as I say, I don't know how many kind of times we've parachuted in mm-hmm. Englishmen or uh, different people into the into the Scotland squad, but um, but no, I think I think I, I have fond memories of of Jack Charlton, and mm-hmm. uh, as I say, certainly not as a as an England footballer. But mm-hmm. um, one thing that was really interesting is like is like why he never went on to manage England, and it, it was widely thought it was. Because because of his sort of full throw, because he was a proud Yorkshireman as well, wasn't he? And it was, um, it, it was, like, wasn't it? He was a very much full throated in his support for the minors during the minor strike. And thought that that was what kept him out of the England job. And um, but I don't know if that made me love him even more when I heard that story. You know, I think there's some, there's, and that's the thing. I think over over the weekend as well, there's been so many sort of stories that have come out. Um, Mark Lawrenson was saying that. Mark Lawrence, the only the only player to play for both Bobby and Jack Charlton, apparently. Oh, okay. He, he was at Preston when Bobby Charlton had a, a brief kind of spelling management. Um, but he was telling the story of um, in his sort of first squad, 
um, all the Liverpool players were playing a, a game later. So they arrived a day later. Um, so Jack Charlton was say, said to him when they all came in, he said, right, you guys, you guys, we're going to do set, we're going to work on set pieces. You missed the first match, but we're going to do set pieces. So you guys just um, go over there with that group and uh, we're going to take the corners from this side and we'll do that. And as they were doing that, he, um, he gets behind the goal, turns his back on the, what they're playing, on the players, gets his umbrella and starts practicing his golf swing. Excellent. <laughs> and then after a while, one of them go, I think, I think Lawrence himself went up to Jack and said, we, 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 we've kind of done this. We kind of, we kind of know what we're doing. And, he, and Jack Charlton says, do you think you'll remember it? Mark Lawrence goes, well, yeah. And he goes, good. And that was it. That was the end of the training. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's brilliant! And, uh, yeah. So I think, um, I mean, I, I think the, the the whole sort of footballing world is is sort of united behind the fact that you know we all kind of love Jack Charlton, which is always nice when because um, he was such a sort of popular figure. And as I say, that even even us north of the border don't have a bad word to say about him, mm-hmm. um, or at least in one half of Glasgow anyway, they don't. Yeah. So, um, so moving moving on from that, uh, news broke uh, on Monday. Um, so that Manchester City, I don't know if anyone is surprised by the fact <laughs> that uh, the Court of Arbitration for Sport uh, overturned Manchester City's uh, Champions League ban. Um, have, were, were you at all surprised at that? Um, to be honest, to be honest, I was surprised that they got, even got even they even bothered to ban them in the first place. Yeah, yeah I exactly. Like I, uh, I've, I've said this before, and I don't think that UEFA actually do care about financial fair play at all. Um, I think they are they are trying to they are trying to do something about it, but you know some of the murky deals that have taken place in the past, and I think that's where the the kind of that that five year kind of cut off investigation, which is the technicality that Man City have got off on. There's no there's no denying that they've done wrong. Sorry, um, uh, <laughs> allegedly. Of course, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Allegedly, it seems that the, 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 they have done exactly what FIFA, um, UEFA said they did. However, this five year kind of cut off has kind of meant that they couldn't be prosecuted anymore, which makes, it, makes you think, why did UEFA bother with, bother with well, following up with it? But, but one thing I want to say is, I think this, this five-year kind of cut-off is to kind of protect some of the really dodgy deals that have happened in the past. Like when, because Real Madrid have been uh, bankrupt sort of a, a numerous times through the 90s and even during the Galactico kind of period, there were, yeah. there were some really dodgy deals that involved them being able to buy the ground and the, sorry, the training ground for Sort of pet, no, uh, the sold the training ground to the the Spanish government for a massively inflated price that was very very strange indeed. But it, it meant they could stay afloat for a couple of years. Some some very sort of murky, and there's all kind of murky kind of deals that have happened, obviously in Italian football. Yeah. Um, that, but 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 anyway, but if FIFA are uh, if UEFA are looking to try and even the playing field, there are other steps they can do than stopping than stopping um like a, a fair distribution of TV money. Yeah. Well, I think if you, the reason why I, I 100% agree with you on the fact that the, they don't care about about fair play. And to, to, and to that end, now, the Champions League in and of itself isn't a Champions League, not anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, the, it's made more and more difficult for teams from leagues outside Germany, France, England and Spain to get into that tournament outright. So Celtic, who... Um, I'm obviously using because I am Scottish. So the Scottish champions who for the last nine years or eight years on an asterisk, depending on who you talk to, um, have been Celtic. Now, Celtic have been in the last 16 of that tournament three times in the, during that nine-year period, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, and last season, Celtic had to play three qualifying rounds to get into the uh, the group stages. 
Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. Um, Ajax, you know, who were in the semi-final a couple of years ago, yeah. had to play two qualifying rounds, yeah. and it's like so. The the reason why I don't think that anybody ever took that Man City mm-hmm. ban seriously is they want the biggest teams playing the big games, right? And I guess every sponsor of every tournament wants that, right? But football in and of itself is still a competition. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'll talk a little bit about this when we go to talk about Scottish football later on. Um, but, so I think, you know, the the ideal um, Champions League final is Real Madrid against Manchester City or Manchester United against Juventus. You know, that's what everybody wants to see. Nobody wants to see um, well, a couple of years ago when it was what it was Monaco against um, Porto or something like that, wasn't it? And it was yeah. like, it was like, like the sponsors would have been. To, mm-hmm. they, from that point, you thought, right, that's never going to happen again. And uh, they've got the tournament to the point where they're right that uh, that will never happen again. And the yeah. Champions League group stages are designed to keep the big teams in. So over two legs, there is a chance that Celtic could beat Barcelona, right? Or. Um, Ajax could beat Manchester United or Apoel Nicosia could get a result against Tottenham or something like that, right? But then that's never going to happen over six games. They're not going to, you know, they they may get four points against Tottenham, but, you know, Tottenham probably will get, you know, more points and then the big teams will go through and stuff. So the Champions League has been diluted to the point where it's all about the big teams with the biggest budgets and the biggest squads and and stuff. Um, So, yeah, I I didn't for a second think. I I agree with you. I'm surprised they even bothered. And what do they do? They they, they find them £10 for a club that makes £500 million a day selling oil. um, A £10 million fine. It's like charging, it's fining you 25 pence. You know, it's like, so I think we were talking about this the other day and I think your idea is yeah okay don't punish them um, in the pocket punish them on the pitch so yeah they might not ban them but put some kind of restriction on the fact that you know they're only allowed uh, however 18 players instead of 24 or something like that you know I'm I'm sure that was I'm sure that even Man City themselves had that a few and that might that might have been about signing underage players or or a registration kind of issue that they had but um, yeah but that would be like because if 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 Say, like, like, so if Hamilton, for example, got taken over by a Saudi billionaire and they spent 500 million pounds getting the best team, well, that wouldn't even get in the best team, would it? Yeah. <laughs> two and a half billion pounds getting the best team they possibly could. Even if that meant that, even if that meant that it takes 10 years for the kind of your commercial revenue to catch up with that, if that meant you had six or seven years playing in the, the Champions League with only, you can only have 15 players or something and the rest have to be youngsters, that, that kind of, that kind of benefit. Hamilton, it means yeah. that your youngsters would have to be good, that your youngsters would get a chance. Um, you'd, you'd end up with, well, that's thing, you're not going to buy, you'd, you'd buy probably the 15 best players in the world, but you're not going to end up with a squad of 40 where you're hoarding players yeah. and you have 30 players out on loan every every season sort of thing. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I think there must be, there should be a way of, of punching. Because if if you're sort of finding people, then that's, that's that's not the point because if they are in financial trouble, what, you don't find them for that. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. And if you're if and if they're just breaking the rules just by spending more money, finding them's not like it's just all oh, right. It's an extra ten million, it's an extra thirty million. That doesn't make any difference either. It's got to be it's got, it's got to be some sort of sporting punishment is the only way to to like level out the playing field almost. Because yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure it is is it that unfair if if a club gets taken over that they can't spend. Yeah. Like, if, if, Oh yeah, what's the whole? What's the point? Yeah, just but um, if they get taken over, they have to. They have to what? They have to build a stadium, get thirty thousand people in, and then they can start spending money. Is that would that be the way they have to do it? Like 
yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's daft. It's, as I say, I don't think anybody was overly surprised that, uh, that City, because the chances are that City could win the Champions League and then not yes. be able to defend it, yeah. which is, again, another yeah. thing that... Um, but I've, I'm no fan of Real Madrid at all. Uh, but I have never wanted them to win a football match more than I've wanted them to beat Manchester City when the, the thing goes round. Um, so we'll move swiftly on to something similar. I mean, we'll talk more about Scottish football in a minute. But uh, So today was announced that um, the ongoing court battle between Hearts and Partick Thistle, who are the two teams who were relegated Hearts from the Premier League into the Championship and Partick Thistle from the Championship into League One in Scotland, um, they are on having an ongoing court battle with the Scottish Professional Football League. Um, and today, that well, and the, the, the court battle was basically sent to the SFA's Court of Arbitration for Sport. Um, the SFA have uh, basically ruled today that Hearts and Partick Thistle broke the rules by going to court instead of coming to their arbitration panel in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was announced today. So Scottish football is in an absolute mess. Now, one of the things I always find funny is uh, any pundit if you listen to Sports Sound, I don't know if you ever if you ever do on Radio Scotland, but they they have a really good sports program on there, um, and they always say, "Oh, we're the laughing stock of world football," <laughs> and uh, so. <laughs> I always disagree with that and I think world football doesn't really care and that's yeah. underlined by the fact that the announcement that the SFA have uh, sanctioned Hearts and Partick Thistle was the 18th story <laughs> on the BBC Sport website today <laughs> uh, so I don't think we're the laughing stock I just don't think anybody cares uh, so we'll talk a little bit about that later but Scottish football's in a little bit of a mess and sort of the sort of the latest thing now essentially what it's boiled down to is the SFA have uh, opened uh, disciplinary hearings or they've, they've sanctioned Hearts and Partick Thistle essentially Hearts and Partick Thistle went to court which broke the SFA's rules. It seems like somebody at Hearts or somebody at Partick Thistle, all they had to do was read the SFA rulebook and this could all have been avoided. But it doesn't look as if they've done that. So it's a bit of a mess. So we'll move on to that later on. Uh, this one thing I wanted to quickly mention, um, we uh, I've talked a lot on the on the on the film podcast about the Black Lives Matter movement, um, and obviously we we talked about black filmmakers and stuff like that. But obviously there's ramifications in the sporting world with um, players uh, taking a knee and uh, throwing up the Black Power salute, and it's led to some quite powerful images and uh, quite a lot of discussion about if it does have a place in sport, etc, etc. One of the probably most interesting things that was announced today is that the Washington Redskins um, American football team um, so about a week and a half ago they got uh, some pressure from the stadium sponsors and several other big name brands who sponsor the team um, to rethink the name because of its um, its sort of racist connotations um, and uh, it was announced yesterday that, in fact, the franchise would um, retire the Redskins name and the retire retire the Redskins logo on the helmet, which is an Indian and a sort of Indian brave headset. Um, so that I think that's a, a really interesting uh, development, and it, it comes from a time where the, the person who owns the Redskins about a couple of in the background for quite some time, and he said in the past that he would never change the name of the team. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is happening. So by the time uh, NFL season starts, uh, the Washington franchise will have a new name mm-hmm. and a new logo. Um, I don't know where you where you stand on on that, but I think there's a difference between a team being called. So for example, Atlanta Braves are a baseball team. Yeah, they've decided to keep the name. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but I think, so I guess an Indian brave is a quite a positive connotation potentially. I think so. Yeah. Um, do, do, do you say, and then Redskin yeah. is quite racist, yeah. let's be honest, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> it's just, it's just the, the kind of development of, of, uh, of, of well, not just the development of language, but like just the fact that attitudes have changed. Like you know, and yeah. it's it's almost a shame that Washington haven't been weren't more proactive with it. You you would have thought that they could have they could have really made a positive statement with changing their name. Um, it's an easy win, wasn't yeah, it? It, it? It was an easy win. It, should, it shouldn't have been so much of a fight. Like I, I don't understand yeah. when when people say, "Oh, by the way, your name's offen- offensive." Like like it, there's, there's all stories of, like car companies that have names that translate to something unfortunate in a, in a different yeah. in a different market, and because they're not idiots, they change the name. They don't stick with the name yeah. because oh no, you know, Fiesta means Fiesta is our brand. Like Ford Fiesta is our brand, therefore we're not changing the name. Never mind what it means. I, I don't think Fiesta is one of them, but it's one of the things where you yeah, but I, I see yeah, what you mean. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're, they're like they're not. They, they decided to change the name to market the team well and and or to market the product well. And I, I don't see how could how could like. Imagine having to defend. Imagine someone. Imagine a Native American comes up to you and says, "Imagine if, if you were a, a, a Washington. If you, oh, I'll say, if you were a Redskins fan, and someone comes. Up to you, yes. If so someone came, a Native American came up to you and said, "That's a really offensive name. Like it's a really offensive slur to use." Imagine you trying to say, "Oh no, no, it's a, it's a, it's it's about our yeah. identity." That it's defending the indefensible, isn't it? It really. Years. So yeah, it's, it's been a slur against my against my people for a couple of centuries now. It's such a strange like. Yeah. Why? Why would you be starting? From yeah, like, so, yeah. Well, I think it, like it comes from the top in that yeah. country, doesn't it? I mean, like given the fact that the the president's a megalomaniac, um, that uh, it's hardly surprising that there's half the stuff that goes on over there. But it is encouraging yeah. to see, and I think that's what the whole movement yeah. uh, or any movement is is all about: trying to bring about change. Yeah. And change comes slowly, unfortunately. Yeah. But, you know, if, if if a franchise like the Washington Redskins can say, right, enough is enough, yeah. um, then it's a really it's a really good start. And I think, so that, like, the other thing that, that you know, the, kind of these images are, are really powerful of, of like, footballers mm-hmm. taking a knee and putting the hand up and everything. Um, but I think probably the most powerful one for me was in, in NASCAR. Now, um, as we go on with these sort of sport podcasts, my utter disdain for motorsport will uh, will, be, will become apparent. But um, so there is one black uh, NASCAR driver in the entire roster. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there was a, an instance where he campaigned to get the Confederate flag removed. Um, and again, that was. Again, ridiculous. Uh, that has to be a fight. That has to be exactly. Fight. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, it's just, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, did you see it? Just a, a quick aside, but both uh, both myself and and more so James are, are massive wrestling fans. But uh, did you see Stone Cold's uh, sort of when he chipped in? <laughs> yeah, on it? yeah. Uh, it's just it was just outstanding. <laughs> but um, and like Stone Cold's like a proper Southern boy as well, isn't he? Like, and, but um, anyway, so so there's an image where he was walking around the track, and then everyone from every team were all like sort of driving and walking behind him as he went round and stuff, and uh, it was just absolutely just breathtaking yeah. to watch you know and um, stuff like that is what brings about change yeah. in sport like, people can dismiss it for being trivial or whatever but it's got a real part to play in society and yeah. um, like, as much as I cannot stand Lewis Hamilton mm-hmm. um, like I think that like, he has become like quite an important figure and it's sort of uh, like holding Formula 1 to account yeah. really isn't no, I think he? And I think he it's probably the bits to be honest, I'm, I'm like I'm very much I like I respect his skill absolutely as a, as a Formula One driver, but as as a person, he 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 never he's never impressed me before until you until, yeah. until you kind of realise what he's kind of been he must have been through to be 
at yeah. the time the only black sort of Formula One driver um, to be, and and like the fact that he had to kind of he had to be he has to be like the most talented person of his generation, and he's like the only black guy to have got a chance on the yeah. Formula One driver to got a chance. He has to be that good to have been given it, and he got a chance through like through like a, a long-standing relationship um, with a. Uh, with uh, with Mercedes, wasn't it? He had from from yeah, it was yeah. It was only because he's but I think supremely talented. The thing is, but he but he's using his position now, yeah, and he's yeah. like, he really stands up for it. And he, he's uh, as I say, I'm I'm with you. I have absolutely mm-hmm. no time for him as a person. I think he's um, I, I don't love uh, that he did, he he moved to somewhere where he doesn't have to pay taxes in the UK, given the fact that that. But he um, you can't take away from how well he speaks yeah. on this issue and so he doesn't come across like because i always find whenever he loses a race um or something doesn't go his way i think he comes across quite like like a bit of a brat almost yeah, yeah. um but it when he talks on this he's like a different guy he's almost he's, he's quite um articulate and and stuff and I, I think he's he's doing a really good job of uh of holding that sport to account um which is a shame that that, that an athlete has to do that yeah you know and- uh, I, I, I'll tell you what we we, um, we were going to talk about sort of F one a bit later. Um, one of the things that <laughs> sort of look at the flack that he's kind of. Uh, I, I'm trying to stay off Twitter as much as I can and Facebook as well. But the amount of abuse that he gets for you know the fact that he's dared to stick his head above the parapet on this on this yeah. really minor issue like you know of, of Black Lives Matter, <laughs> yeah. he's getting pelters for every part of his sort of career um, for. You know the, the team that he drives for and the the sponsors that he has so you know they're not all are they all absolutely squeaky clean um but the fact, yeah the fact that he's done that and the fact that six of the 20 formula one drivers didn't want to join him in a in taking the knee yeah. for the first grand prix be- because it's seen as controversial in some of their countries i think that tells you everything you need to know about about, does, yeah. about what about what <laughs> imagine having to persuade someone to to support like that not you're not you're not even talking about some sort of abstract kind of thing you're talking about imagine people saying people like me are suffering yeah someone saying oh well you know i, I would do but you know you, you've, you've got to think of you, you've got to think of how people in my country will react to me taking a knee <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> ridiculous when you think about it like that i think i support black lives matter you know if uh, if i'm not careful about my uh cultivating this image i think i think the way that he's done that and called out bernie eccleson and called out the formula one bodies for not doing enough is it's 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 really impressive. It's really impressive. It's like yeah, he has. I think yeah. that's the thing. It's like he has really really impressed us. And as I say, I don't particularly like the lad yeah. in in general. But fair play to yeah, him on this one. Yeah. Okay. So before we move on to uh, talking about uh, uh, what we love, which is uh, football and cricket mainly, mm-hmm. um, we're going to do a bit of an usher versus usher challenge. Yes. Um, so. This again, we have, and if you're listening, Josh, Chris, or Michael from uh, the, the Kevin Willie Score uh, podcast, we are sorry that we have stolen your idea again. Uh, but uh, it, it's only because we love you. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I said on the other podcast, if they will let us come to the show in Manchester, if it goes ahead in November, we'll buy you a pint in mm-hmm. apology. Um, so, what we've done here is. Um, I uh, have picked a classic England match from a major tournament. Yes. Um, and I am going to challenge James to give me England's starting 11. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I am going to take you back to the 30th of June. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it is in the 
sorry, the 30th of June, 1998, oh, oh. in the Stade Geoffrey Guichard in Saint-Étienne mm-hmm. um, for the World Cup. I think it was the, That'll be the qu- second round. Round of 16, I think yeah, it, was. Yeah, it was. Argentina versus England. Yes. Um, so can you give me the Eng- England's starting 11? Um, and they, they used three subs. So any of the 14 men mm-hmm. who took the park in that controversial night in San Etienne. And Dave, for you, um, I have got um, one of the most famous Scottish matches of the last 25 years. Um, oh. It's the, the infamous... Uh, Estonia versus Scotland match from oh. 1997. Now, I was going to originally choose the abandoned match where Estonia just didn't fancy it and just didn't turn up. I was oh, going to choose. Oh, this was this a game in was it in Monaco, I believe, yes, wasn't it? Well, it took place. I was going to choose the original game in Tallinn, the one team in Tallinn, <sighs> but it is pretty much the Euro '96 team. So I didn't think that was quite give myself more of a chance. It is the I'm going to ask you to name the. Um, the Scotland starting lineup and the the subs that they made from the the eleventh of February nineteen ninety seven Estonia versus Scotland in Monaco. Um, oh, uh, so right, we'll do, okay. So when was nineteen ninety seven? Yes. So we'll do one. Name okay. a title first, then for the. Uh, uh, yes. Okay. I'll name a player. The new name a player. Yeah. Okay. Go on then. So um, first of all, in goal, I've got David Seaman. David Seaman is correct. Yes. Okay, so I'm going to go in goal, and I'm going to win 97. Mm-hmm. Andy Gorham. Yes, correct. Um, well, the announced himself on the world scene, uh, Michael Owen. Michael Owen, indeed, yes. Okay, um, right, so we're talking 97. Oh, Colin Henry. Colin Henry, Henry yes. Yeah. Uh, right. So then I'll go um, uh, score of the other goal, I think. Um, Big Al, Alan Shearer. Alan Shearer, penalty after 10 minutes, yep. Yes. So, uh, that's right, because they, they got a penalty after six minutes, didn't they? And then it was right, yeah, so Shearer. Yeah. yeah, okay. Um, Duncan Ferguson. Yes, big Dunk was playing up front before he... I remember, the- well, it was just after he it fell out of the SFA and I remember being really excited because Duncan Ferguson was uh, was going to be playing for Scotland. And if, yeah. I, if I believe, if I remember correctly, the score finished nil-nil <laughs> uh, yeah, in that game. Um, so, I will go with... Oh, the, the guy, the guy who Michael Owen took the ball off his toes when he was when he scored his great goal, and um, Paul Scholes. Paul Scholes, correct. Yep. Um, now we mentioned so this guy has uh, has gone on, had a great career, played for Liverpool, played for Scotland, scored many goals. Is currently the Rangers assistant manager, I believe. Gary McAllister played in that game. Oh yes, I think it was his most famous sort of contribution, wasn't it? It's not like he did anything. Oh yeah, but all the great he did in the game. Every time anyone mentions Gary McAllister, I just think he missed that thicking penalty at Euro '96. <laughs> so McAllister. Okay, yeah. Um, so oh, I'll, I'll go for the the a, a guy who definitely didn't do anything controversial in in a. <laughs> Mr. David Beckham. David Beckham, yes, obviously got sent off in that game. Yeah. Um, right, if I'm thinking at Hendry, he was probably partnered in '97 by Colin Calderwood. He was, yes, Colin Calderwood. Um, so I'll go for centre back. Um, I'm pretty certain he did start. He maybe did come on a sub, but I'm pretty certain Saul Campbell was uh, definitely involved. Saul Campbell, yes, no, he played. He started. He started. He scored the header, didn't he? Well, he they got this loud. That's right. Yes, he did. He absolutely clamped, clamped all over them. But I, I'm going to f- complete my def- back four. I'm going to say 97. So uh, I'm, I'm going to guess here because I cool. think he played. 
I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess Jackie McNamara. Jackie McNamara was the right back, yes. Oh, thank God for that. Um, so, uh, 98. Um, I'm pretty certain he played um, Paul Ince. Paul Ince, yes. Paul Ince missed the penalty. Yes, yeah. yeah. I mean, um, he's only started, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, John Collins. John Collins, yes, of, of Monaco, as he was at the time. Yes, indeed, yeah. Um, one of the first Bosman transfers, wasn't he? He um, was, indeed. We've got... Um, so, yeah, again, I'm pretty certain he started, um, again, Mr. Penalty, David Bay. Uh, David Bay came on as a substitute. Oh, so, do I get another... You get another goal. Okay. Yeah, so Batty was a substitute. Yeah. Batty was a substitute. So then uh, Tony Adams would have been... Tony so. Adams played, yeah. Yep. Right, now I'm going to get... So if Mike Lamar's at right back, it's got to be Tom Boyd at left back. Tom Boyd was at left back, yes. Right, okay. I'm starting to struggle now. <laughs> uh, Tom Boyd, yep. Um, so uh, who did we have? Who would have been left back? Would have been Graham Lasso. Graham Lasso. I was going to say, have you not got great? He's like the most famous yeah. left pre Ashley Cole left back. Uh, I was hoping that would take you a bit longer. Um, mm-hmm. Right, so I'm going to write. So if I, I should have written these in. Right, so hang on, let me just see. So I've got Gorham, then I've got Boyd, Hendry, Calderwood, McNamara, who have I got in midfield? McAllister and Collins, mm-hmm. Ferguson up front. So I'm missing two midfielders. Um, it's too early for Paul Lambert. Uh, Paul McStay, Paul McStay, Paul McStay. Paul McStay. Paul McStay. Yeah. Yes, we're at number eight. Um, so who would have been right back for England? Must have, it must have been. It was, I'm going to say I'm going to say it was Gary Neville. Was right it back was Gary Neville. Um, right, so I am missing, oh, unless we've done 4-3-3, which we might have done. So who would it potentially have been up front? 98, 97. Um, oh, let me think. McCoist? McCoist was on the bench and he came off the bench. Oh, he came off the bench. Oh, thank yes, <laughs> Um Right, okay. Uh, I don't know. I think I'm out. I just, right, let me think. Who went to 98 World Cup up front? Who went to, who went to 98 World Cup? So, yeah, I'm saying who, because this is the year before, so there's a chance that he would, they would still be playing. Well, you, you mean, the, oh, yeah, yeah. So, it been, I'm torn between two. Mm-hmm. Kevin Gallagher. Kevin Gallagher, yes, he was a Oh yes. <laughs> okay. Um So you have you have one more and two on the bench. So I, I definitely know one of the guys who was on the bench. Wait, so who, who have I got? Do, do we play we played three at the back, didn't we? So you've got because we, we had Beckham, we had or do we have a yeah. Well no, you've you went two at the back, so you've got Adams and Campbell with Lasso and Neville. Yeah. And then you've got Beckham and Scholes. Yeah. Owen and Shearer. And you're missing one more. Yeah, so I'm guessing did we have did we have do we have five at the back or did we have because I know so I know Darren Anderton scored against Columbia. Did he play though? Did he oh, did he? oh man. So I know I know he was on the bench as well. I know I know one of the guys who came off the bench, he scored a penalty. Um alright, I'm gonna guess at I'm gonna guess Darren Anderton. Oh you got it. You built oh, it. Yeah. Yes. Um, okay, so I'm gonna to have to guess Gordon Jury. Um Gordon Jury. Yeah. Of Rangers, I believe, at the time. I think so. He was. He was not on the Oh bench. no. Not he the first not. time Gordon Jury has let me down. <laughs> he was not. Do you want to know the last so I've named all eleven, haven't I? So yeah, you've last, got all eleven, yeah, yeah. You've got ten. The last was um John McGinley from Bolton, who I didn't think I didn't think played that much for Scotland, yeah. God, I would have guessed all day and not got that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, 
the other, the other sub was Ian Ferguson. Uh, oh, yeah. I wouldn't have got him either. Paul Lambert was on the bench. Uh, Ian Jess as well and uh, Billy McKinley. And uh, Jim Layton. Jim Layton was still on the bench in 1997. Aye, nice, that would have been nice. Played in... Because we still at Man United until he was about 40 or something. He was, he was, yeah. Was for a long time. Oh, dear. Oh, that was... Oh, I can't... <sighs> Right, I say, I, I'm not too disappointed because I would never yeah. have got John McGinley in a million years. Mm-hmm. So, um, he played. It was a Bolton he played for, wasn't it? He was. Yeah, I, I remember Bolton doing really well in that sort of first, first iteration of the Bolton team that got I, like, the very lower leagues of the Premier League before it kind of came back under Sam Allardyce. Yeah. that was that was fun. That was fun. that was good. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so we'll obviously talk about now the the Premier League's been back. I think it's pretty yeah. much it's hard to tell how many games have actually taken place <laughs> given the fact that there seems to be a game on every night, which is fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I, I currently, while we're recording this, have uh, Chelsea versus Norwich uh, on in yeah. the background as we're uh, as we're talking about this. So as of last night, um, we played uh, played thirty five games, um, and. So obviously the, the the title has long since been decided. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think this this are going to go down in history as one of the best teams we've ever seen um, mm-hmm. in the Premier League. Um, and uh, so they've they've lost three games in two seasons, which is just yeah. insane. Yeah. You know. Um, so what's still up for grabs is um, there are two Champions League spaces up for grabs now that Manchester City will be playing in the tournament next season. Um, so before Chelsea kicked off against Norwich, um, they were on uh, 60 points after 35 games, Leicester City on 59 points and Manchester United on 59 points. So who's your money on? Who is going to miss out, out of those three, do you think? In fact, before we go on to that, before we go on to that, um, so the, the game's back. Um, I think it, it's, it's safe to say that it started slow. Um yeah. So, what are your thoughts on the Premier League coming back? Has uh, the changes they've made, you know, are you missing the crowds? What do you think works? What do you think doesn't? Yeah, I think, so I think, I think one thing we're seeing is, I've always wondered what the, how how you could quantify what the, what Premier League sort of game was and and why the Premier League was so different to, to sort of Serie A or La Liga or um, any sort of the league, league around the world. And, and sort of why the English teams didn't do well in, in European games, it's always kind of slightly confused me because you know at one point it was we, we could say oh it's all English players and it's all English managers playing a certain English kind of way. But now, but for like decades now, we've had sort of foreign foreign players coming in and, and imp- in, improving and enriching the game in so many different ways. And and over the last decade, uh, foreign managers have come in and again have taken clubs to different places. N- not all of them good, not all, not all of them successful. But you know the, the idea of like an English. English kind of style of play is is uh, is absolutely out the window. Like you, you sort of you've got twenty teams in the Premier League playing twenty different styles of of play, and and, and probably the most English team, Sheffield United, play a, a football yeah. overlapping football. <laughs> or Burnley, I think Sheffield United or Burnley are the two kind of yeah. English teams left. Or... Yeah, but but you know Chris Wilder, you, you might you look at him and you sort of think, oh, he's a he's a certain type of manager, but he his tactical kind of way he plays is is something else. Yeah. Um, but I think and I think what we're seeing now is. The difference is, and always has been, the fans. Uh, I think yeah. what, it feels like now what we're watching. We're kind of watching. It's like we're watching a European league. Um, the way that Man City have been able to like steamroll the teams. This is this is the same Man City team that kind of every every team has managed to put the foot in and and really sort of you know press and been able to. Man City have, I mean, struggled <laughs> a very relative term, but this season you know Norwich beat them. 
Yeah, they've lost nine games. That's crazy when you think about it. If if you look at the way that Southampton managed to just about somehow somehow, um, win 1-0 in a a game where they had one shot, I think, from 45 yards, um, and, you know, Man City had more shots than Leicester had when they beat them 9-0. I think the fact that, that... Kind of we we aren't seeing the fans there to really rev up the the smaller teams, the less skilled teams. It's kind of shown that our kind of level play, playing field that we have in the Premier League, where you have to fight pretty much for every win, where Liverpool yeah. have had to fight for the, the the fact that Liverpool have won so many games is is down to their grit and determination more so than the skill. Because I think last year they were even more sort of skillful and free flowing. This year they scored twenty less goals or something than Man City, yeah. but have been on another level just in terms of consistency and excellence and it just it just felt like we're kind of watching without the fans there like it was wolves against it was a wolves villa but should have mm. been a villa wolves um, i think it was i think it was a villa park should have been the biggest game of villa season and they didn't turn up they got no, it's like, crazy isn't it? exercise for, for wolves so i think i think that's the that's the thing that was kind of that's been the biggest difference i think from a a regular season. Not that I'm complaining, it's absolutely brilliant to have sort of football back. Yeah. But I think that's kind of what we're watching now feels like something slightly slightly different from the English game. And what I can put it down to is the fans. No basically. fans. I think the, the thing for me that, that that's probably struck me the most is it seems to be the teams with the bigger squads yes. that are coping better with this. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, like um, Norwich haven't turned up, Villa haven't turned yeah. up, Bournemouth have struggled. Um Watford have struggled, Crystal yeah. Palace have struggled, Brighton have struggled, yeah. and uh, whereas teams like Liverpool, Man City, I mean Chelsea have had a had a, had a bit of a blip recently. Um, like had the, the and Manchester United are probably the best example of this. They've got a really big squad, um, and they seem to have hit the ground running. I mean, they're still a million miles away from yeah. from Liverpool and Man City. And I think, like, just down to the, I was talking to my brothers as a as a big Man United fan, and I was asking him what he thought of how Man United are playing. You know, on that 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 winning streak, and he says it's great to see. Uh, he says, but they just don't move the ball quick enough. You know, like like you, when you watch Man City and Liverpool, they just zip the ball about like yeah. like, like it's burning their feet, you know. And mm-hmm. um, whereas Man United are still a little bit ponderous, they still get caught in possession a little bit too often. And um, but I think I think last night um, we we kind of spoke about this before the game last night. It's yeah. probably the game I've looked forward to most since yes. it's came back because mm-hmm. you know United were in such good form. Southampton yeah. are just yeah. a battling team, aren't they? They're just yeah. Like so good to watch now. You would believe, like that. I mean, I've watched the last two Southampton games, um, just as it <laughs> as it's turned out, and um, the the maybe not two, but they beat Man City, and then yeah. the, the the one last night where they drew with Man United, and uh, I think the, the the game where they lost nine nil to um, Leicester, wasn't it? Leicester. Um, I was like, they must have mentioned that about forty five times, yeah. and you're like, well, the reason they are is because it's so striking to see this team with the same manager and the same mm-hmm. players. Mm-hmm. It's like, and it, it, they really, it must have embarrassed, yeah, not yeah. be the same team since. And uh, I think it's really, it's really, really good to watch. Um, I think the the five substitutions, I think, favours the bigger teams again, uh, squad size, but that hasn't had as much of an effect as I thought it would. It doesn't really slow the game down, I think, mainly because they've got to use them yeah. at the same intervals. Yeah, yeah. I think the, the water break has to go, though. I think that's just... Think, yeah, it seems to be... It just kills the momentum, yeah. doesn't it? And like Especially in the second half. The game yeah. changes so many times in, in that little thing. Um, but I think what you hit is spot on. I think, like, when you, you're right watching Villa the other night. Um, when you're like this against Wolves, you think this should have been the game where yeah. you know 
and uh, they haven't they haven't really turned up and um it's, it's just really sad to see. I mean they got a good result the other day, but yeah. um even then it's and I think Sheffield United, they've uh, I mean they they looked as if they'd never met each other when they came back. Yes, yeah. Um and they've they've, they've kind of started to get I mean Ollie McBurney scored two goals in the last two games. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Um but, I, think, uh, I think one thing that's shown is is all the excuses we've had down the years for well, in, in, in the dim and distant past for you, for you, Dave, anyway. But all these years yeah. we've had for, for England not England or international teams not turning up at, at tournaments kind of well. And and all the pundits who've said, oh, they've kind of got it wrong. Just if you think about, basically, the, the, the kind of, basically now all the Premier League teams are basically playing like tournament football. You know, they've not been together for months. They've all come together in a, in a short period of time. They've had to kind of get reacquainted and they've had to, and think about basically like, that's basically what you have to do for an international tournament, isn't it? You get you get all yeah. these back together, and you have to sort of get them to perform. And the number of teams that haven't performed since then, I think it shows that it's it's ne- it wasn't just Sven Jorn Eriksson's fault that England didn't turn up at certain that haven't been good at yeah. certain tournaments, or it's not just it wasn't just Fabio Capello's fault, it wasn't just Roy Hodgson's fault. Um, I think there's definitely it, it kind of shows how difficult it is, and even even the people who've done well, like like uh, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer at, at Man United for the uh, against Tottenham. I think that was the first game before. The yeah, game, it was. Yeah. Yeah. They just looked like Tottenham, who haven't particularly been great. Tottenham looked like they were defending really easily. Like the front three weren't moving enough, and like you said, they weren't moving the ball enough. And um, yeah. and I think, and like you said, like the big scores have definitely have definitely helped. But like um, even even Man United, who've played, they kind of played the same team five games in a row. Uh, sort of last night against Southampton, got got outworked and and outran by Southampton in in the end. Yeah. And they ended up Southampton ended up deserving a point rather than. And I think having played those five games in a row, there is a limit of how much. How much you can push, kind of players, well, and, and, and you know, it's it's the best job. In modern the world. players, I think, yeah. how, how how far you can push modern players. Yeah. And I think just just on that, like, look at um, if you look at Tottenham now. So yeah. this time last year, Tottenham Hotspur <laughs> won in the Champions League final, yeah. right? And uh, so Jose Mourinho is taking over, and um, it's like he his style of management doesn't work. I mean, we, you talk about modern footballers, right? But even go back to when he was at Chelsea, yeah. like how he worked at Chelsea and the way he managed and like that, like he, when he was at Man United, he, he, he just kept on like doing Luke Shaw in the press, yeah. didn't he? And then it's this boy at Tottenham, I can't remember his name, he's like the record scorer. Yeah. Like he's left him without a name like the last <laughs> two games, you know? And yeah. it's like, can he do that with players? And like, yeah. like the, the fact is, right, he doesn't have like the dressing room he had at Chelsea, yeah. you know what I mean. He doesn't have the spine of the team that he had at Chelsea, yeah. or the team he had at Inter Milan, or or these places. He's got you know modern pros who you know in today's culture you can't shout at anybody now yeah. because they're like you can't talk to me like that. And mm-hmm. I, I'm just I, I feel I feel attacked. Mm-hmm. Seems to be what the kids say now, and you're just like, well, I'm just telling you what you're doing's wrong, you know, and like. And he not- even like Mourinho just looks like a dinosaur now. He just yeah, looks so yeah. out of touch and just. I think like- if you look at if you look at how he, he sort of spoke when he first came in to Tottenham. There was talk of it seemed like he, he it was like he'd learned his lesson. He was he was putting on that he was going to play more attractive football and he was going to be nicer with the press. And he's he's now he, he's back to the the same Mourinho that was. Yeah, he was. You know, yeah. Tottenham are going to like like I reckon Delhi Ali will leave Tottenham sometime yeah. within within eighteen months or will be in Tottenham's reserve team not. Not doing it because he's not. I don't. I don't think. It, I don't think he'll fit in. I don't, no, way. no, no, no. That he won't fit in with with um, Jose Mourinho's sort of style of play. I don't think Jose Mourinho's got any interest in trying to get the best out of a play like Deli Ali. I think he'd, he'd want. He wants. I reckon he'll want wingers, people who can put set pieces yeah. on, and you know, hope that Harry Kane's head doesn't get sore from all the heading he's going to have to do over the next. Well, 
I think if you look at the leave the difference one player makes to a team, right? Yeah. So you look at um, Manchester United, where mm-hmm. I mean they, they they're comfortably right now they're probably the third best team in the country, comfortably behind City and Liverpool. They're, they're not quite there yet, but. Before Bruno Fernandes came in, they were the eighth best team, you know. And the difference that one guy has had, um, it's woke up um, Paul Pogba, he's woke up Ad Martial. Now, why those two weren't taking that team by the scruff of the neck and doing what Fernandes has done. But look at the difference he's made by coming into Manchester United. But look at the difference someone like... Um, Christian Eriksen leaving Tottenham has done you know like he was just the beating heart of that team Mm -hmm. you know and he like Son is still he's doing his best and he's still running he's still getting involved and everything but like the difference that in that team since Christian Eriksen left has just been unbelievable and I I mean I'm particularly sad because he was my main man in Champions (laughs) League uh, champion uh, fantasy football you know um but it, like it's a, it's a, it's amazing the difference one guy makes to a team and um, like Arsenal always look better when Aubameyang's played through the middle instead of played out yeah. wide and whatever yeah. Arteta's doing with him out on that wing is just unbelievable. Um, but it's created like Crystal Palace obviously when Zaha plays they they're a better team and stuff. Yeah. But um, it's just incredible when you think about it. It's a team game and everything. But if you don't have that one guy, that's um, yeah. and. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see next season. I think um, will Harry Kane still be there because he's looking at. Um, I saw a statistic that he, if Harry Kane was to look at Kyle Walker, Kyle Walker went to Man City has won more Premier League titles in the entire history of Tottenham Hotspur yeah, yeah. in the however many years he's been there. Mm-hmm. Um, but surely Kane's going to have to go soon. You, you because think so, cause I don't, I don't see how. So. Um, so one of the things is like th- this transfer window would have been m- where Mourinho would have, oh sorry, this summer would have, yeah. been, Mourinho would have. I mean, I don't know if he would have been able to ship out as many players as he wanted, but he definitely would have brought in his play, more of his players. He'd have brought in the Mandamatic, wouldn't he? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he would have done. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, is, is Carvalho still playing? Ricardo Carvalho. Yeah, he <laughs> um, but he definitely would have brought in his kind of players with his kind of stamp on. But with the way that the way that whatever the transfer window is going to look like, um, is he going to have time? And also with, if, if you're a, if you're a footballer looking to move to a, a club who's going to, on from the outside, who's going to try and push on, you've all of a sudden you've got, you've got Carlos Ancelotti, uh, Carlo Ancelotti at, at, at Everton. Do you want to try and play there? Do you want to try yeah. and play for an absolutely flying Nuno, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, what's the Wolves manager? Do you want, do you want to go and play for? Uh, Nuno, go, Nuno, uh, Santos. No, yeah, Santos, yeah. that was his name. Yeah. Um, or, or, so, so, do you want to play for Carlo Ancelotti at, at Everton, or do you want to play for like do you want to play at Wolves? Um, if you're looking at if you're a player outside the sort of the Champions League, looking to push into it, um, or do you want to go and work for a regimented manager who you know might fall out with you? And if if he falls out with you, then all of a sudden you're going to be chasing chasing shadows in the reserves for how many? And if, even if there is reserve team football next year, um, you know, I, I don't. I don't think Tottenham stadium aside. I'd not, I'm not sure yeah. Tottenham offer as uh, an attractive uh, uh, proposition as they were, say, a year ago or two years ago. Well, yeah, I think. Uh, and then but Pochettino's out there looking for work. You know, where's yeah. he going to go? Yeah. And um, but uh, so having a look at the uh, Premier League table, as I say, there's there's um, probably there's uh, two Champions League places to be decided, mm-hmm. and there are two relegation spots to be decided. Mm-hmm. So if we start at the bottom, will we? Yeah. So you're looking, um, Norwich have gone uh, 21 points from 35 games. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you have Aston Villa, 30 from 35. Bournemouth, 31. 
Watford 34, West Ham 34, and then a slight jump to Brighton at 36. So I think you've probably got five teams fighting over two spots. Um, who is going to be in the championship next season? I think. Um, I think so. So the, the the great thing, the the fact that sort of Watford and West Ham play on Friday. Yes. Um, and then on on Thursday you've got um, uh, uh, Villa play Everton. So if, if Villa beat Everton and then are sort of a one point behind either Watford or, yeah. West Ham or, or two points behind if, if they kind of draw. Um, last day of the season is Villa against um, West Ham. Yeah, so, so you kind of want something on. As a neutral, you want something on that game, yes, don't you? Yeah. So um, part of me just thinks that I think, unfortunately, I think do think Bournemouth is coming a little bit too late. They're playing Man City this week. Yeah. I think, although they kind of look like they turned the corner in the second half against Leicester. Look. Yeah, they did. Yeah, well, Leicester kind of gave up a hand there, didn't they? So Bournemouth, Bournemouth have got to go to Man City, then they're at home at Southampton, yeah. and then away to Everton. Yeah. So I, I, they I don't have the best run there, do they? I think I think Bournemouth are one of the, the team that will go down, and I I think it could be. I think I don't think Villa will quite be able to claw themselves out. I just think West Ham will will still have something to fight for on last day of the season and won't. Yeah, I, 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 reckon, I think Watford will beat West Ham uh, on this this weekend, and I think on last day of the season, I think West Ham will beat Aston Villa to, to send them down, which yeah. is a, bit of a shame because Villa have got some players that. I do kind of like both. See, I, I see. I did as well, right? Because yeah. also they've got they've got Super John McGinn, yeah, right? Yeah. Who, um, like everyone is pegging sort of Scotland's hopes on <laughs> on a uh, on the mighty meatball himself. <laughs> um, and as I say, he is a great player. Um, but I think he'll get a move. Um, yeah. so I don't see Villa getting anything at Everton. Um, then they've got Arsenal at home and then away to West Ham I think they'll be down before they play West Ham because yeah. um, they've, they've, they're probably the team that have disappointed me the most since the restart yeah. uh, I think they've, they've, they've been really really poor I mean they got they got a win the other day sure but yeah. um, they just don't look interested which is a real shame um, I agree with you I think Bournemouth's um, win against Leicester has given them a wee bit of false hope. Mm-hmm. Um, Watford have put a couple of wins together now, so yeah. I think they're yeah. going to beat West Ham. I think they'll be. I think they'll be fine. Um, but I think the the bottom three is going to stay as it is. I think it's going to be Bournemouth, Villa, and Norwich in the Championship yeah. next season. Unfortunately, yeah. um, so that just leaves. Uh, do you know a really intriguing um, Champions League run-in? So you've got Chelsea, Leicester, Man United, and uh, the last game of the season is Manchester United versus yeah. Leicester City. Yeah. Um, I think I would. I think Leicester have gone. To be honest, I, I don't yeah. see. Uh, I, I don't see them. Uh, I think it's going to be between Man United and Chelsea. In fact, I would have said Man United were nailed on. Yeah. Until the ninety seventh minute yeah. of that game yeah. last night, and um, but uh, so Leicester, I've got Sheffield United on Thursday. Then they got Tottenham, and then they've got Man United on the last game of the season. So I think I don't see them getting anything off Sheffield United. I think the way Sheffield United are playing now, they've got they're unbeaten in the last four games. Mm-hmm. So I think Leicester, I don't think they'll get anything there. Um, I think Man United will finish third. So they've got Palace, Chelsea, and West Ham. Oh, sorry, Chelsea's in the cup. Sorry, yeah. Palace, West Ham, and Leicester. So mm-hmm. I, I think Man United will back themselves there. I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah, I think. I think. I agree. I think. Um, I think Leicester. While they've got Jamie Vardy, I think they've got. They've got. I think they've got goals. Goals in them. I think they've got yeah. a goal in them. Like I got. And unless the playing someone like Palace who've totally switched off. Yeah. They will, oh, they're on the beach, aren't they? They have completely lost score, it, yeah. But I don't think they'll score more than one goal a game. And I think, I can see, 
I can see him maybe getting a draw against Sheffield United. I can see Mourinho shutting up shop and being really happy with a, a nil-nil draw or a one-one draw or something in in that kind of game. So I reckon, yeah. I reckon going into I reckon going into the the last game of the season, I reckon Man United will all, already be above them. Yeah, uh, and I think even even if Greenwood can't keep up this <laughs> goal-scoring form that he's been in, I do think they've got Martial and Rashford seem to be, or Martial especially seems to be in a real purple patch of form at the minute, and Rashford's yeah. sort of sort of chalking up the goals again, like he like he can do in his kind of runs. I mean, if, if Bruno Fernandez stays fit and and uh, and uh, sort of healthy. Uh, if they can nurse him through the last sort of three weeks, he played a lot of football in the last. Yeah, he's, he's pretty much he's the one guy you don't want to leave out yeah. that team though, because like he's the guy who seems to make it tick. And if if he's not there, Pogba's not interested. Yes, yeah. you know. Um, and uh, so I think the other thing that's, that's clicking for Man United is they've had a settled back four. It looks like you know. And I, mean, I know Shaw went off last night, didn't mm-hmm. he? But um, like so, Lindelof and Maguire seem to have yeah. clicked a little bit. And Basaka's yeah. came on to a game. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Luke Shaw, my, my brother was. <laughs> we were talking about Luke Shaw the other night, and uh, he's a fan of his. He says, "Oh, he yeah. gets a lot of uh, he gets a lot of of hassle." And apparently, somebody on Twitter had said the only time that Luke Shaw isn't out of position is when he's in the queue at Burger King. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just. Uh, <laughs> which is a bit of a shame because I'd say if that's fat I don't know what I am but uh, but, uh, but yeah I think, so I think I was going to say about Chelsea as well um, not to do either but Chelsea have <laughs> I think Frank Lampard's done a, a really good job but the fact that they kind of seem to play well and lose games kind of, kind of amplifies sort of to make them look like they're having a much worse season than they are um, yeah. pre- at the pre-season and at the beginning of the season it looked like a top half finish would be a good a good sort of like and, and Chelsea fans would be happy with that with like a, yeah. a young team with like youngsters coming through but whenever you have youngsters you've got inconsistency and you've got often they won't turn up for a match or a half of football and I think that's definitely what's happened but I think they've got enough to get they've kind of got Giroud has kind of come back into the team and although Pedro's I think he's not been involved yeah, since he's, the winter, yeah he's, he's yeah. struggling isn't he but they've got some really exciting young players and that's for, yeah, I, yeah. I really like Pulisic I think he yeah. Oh, yeah. but he needs a run in the team doesn't yeah. he and I think yeah. he's, he's kind of been in and out but yeah. um, as we speak uh, Chelsea are currently leading Norwich by one goal to nil oh, after, nice, 83, yeah. after 83 minutes it was a, a Giroud header um, in the first half oh, so yeah. um but so it looks like they had another three points for Chelsea there, which you know I don't think anyone would be too surprised at. Um, but yes, I think I think overall, um, like the first couple of weeks it, it, it was it was pretty pretty hard viewing, wasn't it? And the, like as the sort of teams got back up to speed, but I think more and more um, the the players are starting to get their their kind of mojo back a little bit, and we're seeing better games. And um, I think we're in for a few a few decent ones over the. Uh, I mean, I think the FA Cup, I can't really be bothered with that at the best of times, let alone in the middle of this. But uh, um, I think, yeah, I think only it, it, it's it's only been a good thing. So so I think as we've talked about with Chelsea, they, they have a young team, they're quite inconsistent, but I think we both reckon that they're going to be all right. So I think if I was if I was a betting man, um, I think I would go Man United third, Chelsea fourth, Leicester fifth. That probably... Oh, right. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, but I think it's still yeah. plenty to play for with three games to go, which is oh, yeah. given how easily Liverpool have won the league. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's uh, it's quite good that there's still stuff to play for kind of this late into the season. Yeah. So, um, so as exciting and uh, and, uh sort of competitive as uh, English football is, um, mm-hmm. uh, is obviously Scottish football to talk about and the the, the pantomime that has been going on north of the border over the last. Sort of couple of months. So the good news first. The good news is that August first, 
which is two weeks on Saturday, um, that Scottish football will be back. Um, the the opening weekend of games. There are uh, four games on the Saturday. Um, Celtic uh, play their first game against Hawanakis on Sunday, and then uh, Monday night football will be uh, the clash of the titans. That is Ross County versus Motherwell. Um, but I think just generally, as as a Scottish football fan as I am, uh, I'm just absolutely thrilled that it's coming back. Um, so it's been quite a summer. Um, those of you who don't follow Scottish football uh, like I do, and I guess James does, given the fact that you now live up there. Um, yes, yeah. So the season was uh, vote. So the, the the SPFL, as is, um, it's a members organisation. So the 42 teams in the SPFL voted to have a certain structure. Um, so any change or any reconstruction has to be ratified um, by the member clubs. So in the SPFL, in the top league in the Premiership, it's got to have a vote of 11 to 1. The Championship, I think it's 10 to 2. And then I think it's 27 of the remaining teams or something like that. So it's a split um, <laughs> about how they all vote to get any change. So uh, when it was made clear that the season could not be completed in Scotland, given the fact that we don't have the same resources that uh, English football does, um, given like for testing and, and loads of different things. Um, the clubs voted unanimously to end the league early and award uh, the title uh, to Celtic, Dundee United, Wraith Rovers and uh, Cove Rangers, which are yes. the uh, four teams who won the specific leagues. They also voted that uh, Hearts would be relegated from the Premier League, Partick Thistle from the Championship, and Stranraer from League One. That's a bit crazy. So, Hart Midlothian and Partick Thistle have decided that it's unfair that they should be relegated without a full 38 season game season be completed. Um, and uh, pretty much everyone agreed with them. So, they tried to reconstruct the leagues. And because it's a members' organisation, the members voted it down because uh, the money wouldn't be as much, etc., etc. So at the moment, Hearts and Partick Thistle have taken Scottish football to court um, and they're waiting on an arbitration panel to decide whether their relegation is to be upheld. So if that makes sense, then I've done an amazing job. I'm not sure it does. Um, so the, the current situation today is that the SP. The SFA, which is the Scottish Football Association, which is different from the league, um, have to arbitrate this uh, dispute. Um, they basically have uh, opened proceedings against Partick Thistle and Harps. So it's all big, one big sort of civil war going on in Scottish football. That is an absolute mess. Um, we will attempt to unpick that. Mm -hmm. next week on the podcast um, given the fact that everything's just moving so quickly um, with all the new information that I'm not really sure what is happening beyond the fact that football starts in two weeks <laughs> and nobody knows if Hearts or Dundee United are going to be playing in the Premier League or not so um, hopefully that'll become a little bit clearer next week and we can sort of start to unpick that so I apologise if I kind of went off on a bit of a tangent there but it has been a crazy time up there so as it is um, the Premier League starts on the 1st of August. The Championship, League 1 and League 2, start in October with a reduced 27-game season. Um, so I think even the staunchest of Partick Thistle and Harps fans will just say, Do you know what, let's just get the games on. You know, let, let's get the games on. Let's get playing again um, and, uh, and move on. 
but uh, obviously that's not going to happen because it's Scottish football. Uh, but yeah, so if that was clear as mud, I apologise. But we will do our best to unpick that for you next week. Um, we are going to change sports, change balls, ball size at least. Um, and uh, we're going to talk about uh, the cricket because the summer has officially started. Yes. Um, when uh, it started a month later than it normally does, um, when the first ball of the first ball of England's home Test matches was bowled, um, and uh, let's just say it's a familiar feel, James, isn't it? <laughs> I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you might think, uh, as a Scotsman, what do I know about cricket? Um, Actually, I know quite a bit about cricket. Um, all down to the fact is, when I worked in Edinburgh, I had an English colleague. Now, this was the summer, the last sort of summer when cricket used to be on Channel Four. Um, when England retained the Ashes, regained the Ashes after a long period of time, it was back in the days of Peterson and Flintoff and um, Harmison and Hogarth and all them. Uh, so one afternoon he was over at mine and he made me sit and watch the cricket and he explained all the rules and different mm-hmm. stuff and I've been hooked ever since. Um, and then obviously James and I, um, when we first started working together all those years ago, bonded over a great many things, one of which... Uh, was cricket, so I may have a Scottish accent, <laughs> but uh, I am a, I am a massive a massive fan of uh, of cricket. So James, the summer has started. England versus the West Indies. Um, the first test is over, uh, an England defeat. Yes. Um, how would you like sum the test up for us? So it was. Um, so, so basically, it, it ended up as a almost like a, a first inning versus versus fourth innings kind of game. So. England won the toss and decided to bat first, which is a very, very surprising decision to have made. Um, uh, basically, the the conditions seemed to favour bowling first. However, the pit, the so the weather conditions seemed to favour bowling first. However, the pitch normally you have a certain amount of games to be played on a, on a cricket pitch, and it it kind of starts to break up, and and so you've got like certain places where the bowlers can can bowl, and they know the ball's going to move a certain way. Um, with there having been no cricket in. In uh, in months and months in in England in uh, in Southampton where the, where the game was played the, the the pitch basically looked like a, a beach just after the tides got out it was absolutely flat there was nothing on it so obviously the thought must have been that that England would want to bat on that really flat pitch and be able to smack the ball around while while the pitch kind of got back to its normal state um, however some really skillful South um, West West Indian bowling and some rather slack rather disappointing England batting meant that they ended up scoring um, a lot less than they should do. Probably they ended up just scoring just over 200 and were probably what turned out to be about 100 runs behind what was a par score because the West Indies, despite some very skillful English bowling, ended up scoring 300 plus. Um, England, so, yeah, England. Just, 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 just before we go on, before we go on that, just a, a little bit about the pitch, right? So yes. if you, like nobody's played any cricket for yes. what, how many months? So yes. England at this point, their captain Joe Root wasn't playing. So mm-hmm. vice captain Ben Stokes uh, captained his first, his first game. Yeah. Okay. So nobody's played any cricket. You've got mm-hmm. a fast, a flat pitch. You've mm-hmm. got a terrifying West Indian bowling attack. Mm-hmm. Why on earth? Did you choose to bat first on that? I, I, I don't get it. Like, so I, th- I think the, the idea was, and what, what Ben Stokes said was that, that the idea was that the pitch would break up on the uh, on the fourth and fifth day of the test match. And the idea being that then, if you then have bowlers that can really exploit that, you want to make sure that you're trying to bowl out of the team on the last days to try and win the game. However, <laughs> the pay, the 
sort of thing you had to sacrifice to get into that position was taking on, <laughs> was trying to bat in the worst weather conditions. If you think about the weather yeah. versus the pitch conditions, the weather conditions actually had much bigger effect than than I think the the English. So, and again, looking at look at England's top order: Burns, Sibley, Denley, Crawley. Right now, even the most sort of like casual cricket fan would look at that top four and think, not a lot of runs there, not a yeah. lot of experience there. Mm-hmm. So again, what makes the decision to to bat first even more baffling is you've got. Mm-hmm. A very inexperienced top order. You've got a terrifyingly <laughs> fast, aggressive West Indian bowling. Mm-hmm. You've got a flat pitch. You're like, why on earth are you going to? Surely, like, I, I, I was a, as someone who is a casual cricket fan, I would say, yeah. like, I, I just couldn't get my head around it. And I, I mentioned this to you. I remember seeing uh, Holder's interview just after it, and he, he could barely contain himself. He's like, uh, well. I, I, I would have, I would have bowled first every day on this, and like I, I lost the yeah. toss. It feels like yeah. I've won it almost. Like, and he was like, he was trying to be magnanimous and like professional about it, but mm-hmm. you could tell he was like, like, what the hell is he doing? So, is that an experience from Stokes? Do you think? I do think. Well, so like, you, you said it was it was Ben Stokes' first captain in game he's captained. That's, that's not just for England. That's the first time he's ever captained any cricket I team. Suppose, I mean, yeah. he, he maybe he did as a junior, but he never captained Durham. He's never captained any of the one-day teams. Uh, he, he's, he's done as a, a vice-captain um, at various times, um, but it's the first time he's ever captained a team. Um, I, it, it's not, it's not, it wasn't only his decision. There would have been sort of... Sure, of course not. The, yeah. the, the selectors and the, the coach would have sort of had a... Uh, Chris Silver, the coach, definitely would have had a, like, would have decided what the, what they were going to do. But I, I, the a, another thing that seems to make it look like a silly, even more silly decision, was the fact that, like we said, that like so there's, there's no cricket being played on the pitch uh, in England for since the end of last season, so a good uh, sort of six, eight, uh, six, eight months ago. Um, none, of the, none of these cricketers have played any cricket like, to competitive standard for, for months and months and months. Yeah. And the, the idea that if, you, if you're trying to sort of play yourself back in, like get used to the sort of rhythm of a, of a cricket match, if you're a bowler and you're slightly off your of your rhythm, you know, you, you, you'll, you'll eventually pick it up after two or three overs. Like, we kind of saw Jeff Joffre actually quite a few times. Yeah. And was bowling a lot slower than he was. But if you're a batsman and it takes you a while to get get into the, get into the get up to speed, you, you don't, yeah. you, you, you end up getting out in a really stupid way. You don't have the, if you make a mistake as a batsman, that's the end of it for you. If you make a mistake as a bowler, you know, you don't yeah, get wicked. You, you get hit for six, you get another over, yeah. don't you? Yeah. 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 But if, if, you're, if you're out of Nick as a, as a batsman, it, 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 it's a, a one and out. You, you make one mistake and you can be out. And I think, think that, and obviously, obviously it was the same for the West Indies batsmen when they came in on sort of the second day. But just the whole thing of getting used to playing cricket again, like to put the batsman in that situation was just a, a really strange decision to like, yeah. you just think, get, get, them in, get them bowling first, get, get everyone used to, the idea of playing cricket again and then go and have a bat, but it just seems like a. It, it seems like, and what 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 I kind of said before is, if it, it feels like they try to be too cute and too clever to like to yeah. set, try and second guess, right? So what we'll do is we'll 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 choose these bowlers because they, they chose sort of faster bowlers than the more experienced. Um, sort of Stuart Broad was dropped and Chris Wokes, who has a bit more sort of control and uh, accuracy. Instead, they chose Mark Wood and Joffrey Archer, who are far quicker. And are skilled bowlers, but are far quicker bowlers. And the idea was yeah. that the last day that this would be a sort of a lethal combination that would would be able to blast away the, the West Indies West Indies bats. But it just it just didn't 
occur and, and West Indies ended up to be honest quite comfortably apart from that little wobble in, on the last day but quite comfortably ended up knocking off a couple, 200 yeah I think points. like the thing I love about like people a lot of my uh, friends back home ask me is like, oh, like why do you like why do you like cricket it's, I think the, the one thing levied at it a lot uh, particularly in Scotland is that it's boring Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but it's I, th- I think the I would use the word fascinating um, yeah, yeah. as like you sit and you watch a game for five days and I, the, the favourite to win it can change yes yeah. within half an hour mm-hmm. you know like so like one like you would have said um, lunch just before lunch on the final day England were favourites to win that game yeah. half an hour later. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, half an hour later, it's like, yeah, got, this is this yeah. game's over. Um, you know, just after tea on day four, England were sort of three wickets down. Ben Stokes and uh, Zach Crawley at the, yep. at, the, at the at the crease. Ben Stokes seemed to be on his way to a half century. I think about one hundred and seventy odd on the board. Like, had, had sort of clawed back the kind of the, the deficit and were sort of building the lead. Uh, and then all of a sudden, between, well, all of a sudden, I texted you and said, yeah. "Oh." Things are things are starting to steady, yeah. and then yeah. I got my phone out of my pocket two minutes later, and then we've lost two wickets. I was like, oh, yeah. goodness sake! Yeah. <laughs> Five wickets went down for thirty runs, and we ended up having to scramble to try and actually ended up do, doing quite well to add an extra thirty runs the next morning. But they went from a stage yeah. of seemingly being able to set West Indies a target that was going to be well over two hundred. Instead, they ended up absolutely scrambling to try and set a target that ended up being exactly two hundred. And the West Indies, and then the idea was that then. This last day would be absolutely, it'd be like a, a dynamite pitch, actually, was it was a normal pitch, which, you know, it was, yeah. there were some low bounces, there was some, some, some that sprung off a length, but nothing, there was, there was nothing there that was so dangerous. The, the Don Best, the, the bowler, who I'm a big fan of, he looks like a yeah. really good young cricketer. Yeah, he had a good, he had a good game. Him and Crawley yeah. are probably the two big He had sports, a really good first innings, and then second innings, though, he was a bit, he wasn't as effective as he kind of wanted a spinner to be on the last day. Um, but yeah, but like you said, having him and Zach Crawley, I think Zach Crawley was the the big plus to come out of the of the of the Test match. To be honest, I think he's so, uh, one for the future. He's definitely one for the future. So yeah. so like he, he Stokes like took chances and he fighters. He yes. put he put um, he went into bat first. Mm-hmm. This, 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 the selection for the start. So you're looking at mm-hmm. the attack of what Bess, Archer, Wood, Anderson, and Sto- Stokes. Okay, yeah. Uh, so do you know who took the most wickets out of all of them? Uh, it was Ben Stokes. Oh, yeah, Ben Stokes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. out of all the balls, so yeah, Anderson yeah. took three, Archer took three, Wood mm-hmm. took two, Best took four, mm-hmm. and Ben Stokes took. So it looks like that bold move didn't pay yeah. off. Yeah. So I, what you said there was was really interesting that you left out not only Broad but Wokes as well, who'd be a lot more controlled. Yeah. So I guess the question would be who. So you've got you Broad comes back, I think, for mm-hmm. the for the next match, which is in on Thursday. Yes. So who drops out, and then Joe Root's back as well. Yeah. So Joe, so who drops out in the top order, and what order do they go in? So James, I am going to pose to you. <laughs> um, your name, uh, Ben Stokes, and Joe Root have <laughs> both came down with a bout of flu, mm-hmm. but are still able to bat, but they can't bat. captain. So, lots of voice, so you, your new job. Yeah. Well, well, you're on furlough uh, mm-hmm. from your day job as a cinema manager. You are now an England selector. <laughs> so, uh, so one to eleven. So, starting with your, oh, who's your opening partnership for uh, the second test against West Indies? So, I do think, <laughs> I, I do think it, w- it would have to be the brilliantly un- and, and watching the cricket this week. It's reminding me just how unorthodox both um, Rory Burns and uh, Dominic Sibley how 
how unorthodox their stances and how their other batting techniques are. But it, w- it will be them too. Uh, Burns. Is yeah, I, I don't. I think they didn't do it. Yeah. Burns, well, Burns, thirty and forty-two. Like, yeah. Yeah, you need more for an opener, but he, yeah. he certainly had the most consistent, maybe Stokes probably. But yeah, I think he, he's a good solid. He's a he, he's developed a good solid bat, um, you know, a good solid batsman for him. And I think you'd look at him for like the the Ashes. He's, he's basically going to be. I think him and Sibley slightly slightly further behind in his kind of yeah. development. Well, in international development anyway. He's quite a bit younger, um, but. Just the the way that Sibley kind of bats almost, uh, he's kind of facing the bowler as he runs in. If I don't know if you if you saw if you saw that, he's kind of like yeah, yeah. He's, he's almost like face onto the to the bowler when he runs in. It's it's a weird technique, and part of me just worry that when there's a few hours of tape for bowlers to watch, you might get there might be some sort of flaw that gets found in his technique. But so far, it, it seems it seems to work for him, and, and same with Rory Burns' slightly slightly odd technique. They both seem to work, so um, I think they're they're definitely the two that I'd keep. Um, I think so. If we've got Joe Root coming back in, I think. I think you keep him at. You have to keep him at number four. I think that's where he, it's where yeah. he feels. Most he wants to bat there though yeah. as well, doesn't he? Which... Yeah. And I think as much as you, as much as you'd want him to be, you know, a Ricky Ponting type who's going to go out at number three and dominate the teams and, and sort of say, yeah, I'm the best batsman there, but I'm going out at number three. Um, I just think if he feels slightly more comfortable, if it means he can slightly more focus, if it gives him an extra ten minutes of focus, even in in the, yeah. the beginning of an innings, if that's what it takes, he's our best batsman. So I think you have him keep him at, at number four, and I think. Although Joe Denny has done perfectly fine, uh, it's just it's time to move on from him. He's he's a if if we had he might get a few more games, but I think it's time I think to to go to go with the youngsters and go with. Zach Ryan. I think I think I think you need to yeah. tell the joke. I think yeah. you need to tell the joke about Joe Denley. Where does uh, where does Joe Denley book his holidays? I don't know, James. Where does Joe Denley book his holidays? Club eighteen to thirty. Oh hey <laughs> hey! Yeah. It's just it's it's. I think I think the I think I know Michael Vaughan. Um, almost as almost as prominent as, as myself, obviously in the cricketing community. Yes, of course. Podcast, yeah. Podcasting. Um, Michael Vaughan was was very um, very forthright in his kind of idea that the Joe Denny should be moved on. Um, I think part of that is just it seems so frustrating watching him back because he seems to do everything right. And then yes. it, it, he's, he's like a I don't know he's, he's like a, a winger in football who can't cross the ball, um, who always beats his man and then ends up shanking it behind the. The, the stand it's like there's, there's no there's no end product with him and I think it's just time to if, if as, as, he had 15 tests already nearly 30 I think 29 innings Any, if, yeah without us uh, yeah if he hasn't well, yeah, it's like, kind of like the same thing with a, with a with a goalkeeper who can't catch a ball yeah yeah, and they, they always say like, "Oh, he's a good shot stopper." Yeah, I was like, "Well, he's a goalkeeper. Yeah. He's supposed to yeah. do everything." Yeah. You know, and um, but yeah, I think I think it's just he's just not consistent enough, is yeah. he? And just, yeah. but I, I get what you mean. He's just one of those guys. You just you just want him to succeed so badly, yeah. but it just doesn't seem to work. And I think you're right. It's time he's gone. So do you put Crawley in three? Then? Yes, I think so. The Crawley's played. He kind of came to the team as, as an opener when. Um, when uh, Rory Burns um, was injured, when Rory Burns broke, broke his ankle playing football, um, yeah. he uh, Crawley came in. Zach Crawley came in as a as an opener, and he seems he he seems to have taken it to a duck to water. He seems to be someone so young. He seems to have yeah. a really a, again slightly unorthodox sort of technique, but he's kind of tough. And there's certain there's been certain times over the last decade, certain certain times that England have looked a little bit lightweight with with uh, when the, the going's got tough. It seems like I've put them in. We've had uh, Berstow and Moan Ali both, both yes, trying to yeah. bat at three, and it's just that's yeah. how bad things have got, you yeah. know. Like, there's been a, uh, there's been certain times where we've tried to get uh, it's an issue of trying to get all your best players in at the team when actually you kind of sometimes need to look at actually 
you just get the best play for this position. And, and that goes across yeah. rugby rugby or football or any kind of sport. You need to have the best kind of person in that position. And if and then you know, if, if we if the openers put on two hundred and fifty and the, the ball and the balls and the ball the uh, bowling attacks being battered around, then you know you can, then you can put Stokes up to number three and you put Root up to number three and, and have them really come out and play shots. But but while we've got while we while we need to really be digging in to, to sort of have some tough batting, I think I think Zach Crawley's the guy to bring in at number three and gives more a bit of stability. But he's he's already shown that he can score score runs. Um, so, so, yep. so my, my, my top four would be, and then so my top four would be uh, Rory Burns, um, uh, Dominic Sibley, Zach Crawley, and then Joe Root back in as captain as, yep. as number as number four. And then I think he might be batting one position too high, ideally. But it, than where you want him ideally. But number five, you've got. Ben Stokes, um, and he, he is a quality. He is a quality batsman, but part of me just would want a bit more protection for him. You'd want one more sort of person there to try and take the take some. So would you put a few more overs in the bowlers' eyes before they get a Ben Stokes because he can be so destructive. Not just with his slogging kind of, not just with like a, a kind of as a lower order batsman. He really has got skill in building innings and yeah. being able to ramp up an innings and to take a, take a game away from people. Um, like his double century that he's got in in South um, uh, South Africa, I think is some and South America. I think I could score a double century in South America. Tested out in Brazil, um, but yeah, but his, and obviously his performances in the in the World Cup final and, and the yeah, uh, and the yeah. last year there were he's, he's got so much talent that you kind of want to protect him a bit more. But <laughs> so would you put would you move Pope up then, or well, would you I, keep Pope at six, yeah, or would you I, have Pope in at all? I, I would have Ollie Pope in just because of his. He didn't do great in the in the kind of in this test, but what I've seen of him, he looks like a real quality stroke playing batsman that I think would eventually would go in at, num- at number five. Um, w- would eventually go in ahead of Ben Stokes, but at the minute Ben Stokes goes in number five, and, and uh, Ollie, I would have Ollie Pope at, at number six, uh, that, that, and that would be kind of my, my batting kind of uh, batting kind of uh, hopes would be that that he can then come in and and play strokes and and be able to to be a, a sort of part of a, a lower order kind of engine room with uh with yeah. Stokes and uh and himself and and then my number seven would be it would still be Josh Butler. Yeah. But I, I am but I am of the I am I would not be unhappy if uh if Ben Folks came in as the wicket keeper. Okay. Because he's not quite the batsman that, that Josh Butler is. However, Josh Butler again seems to be a rather frustrating kind of batsman as, as a batsman because he's got all the skill seen it in one day how much skill he's got but yeah he's only got one century in uh in test cricket which is remarkable for for the the kind of skill he's got as a with a white ball his batting is, is, it, is it is it that though is it as simple as the fact as he's just a one day cricketer who's well but, but, but i don't think i think if, if you if you watch those sort of it was it was in the it was so a year before the World Cup, wasn't it? When he was just, he came back, he sort of re-established himself as a destructive cricket, but it wasn't all slogging. It was, he played himself yeah. in and then he started smashing the ball around. But again, it was, there was more than just, it wasn't just all power. It was like skill, a real high level of skill that... that but I, th- I think every time, every time I watch Butler, it's it, it almost like he has the ability to, you know, like do yeah. the skill and, and try and get dug in, but it always looks like he's fighting his instincts to yes, do it. it does, yeah. You know, what I mean, and I think like for especially like against West Indies, that that's fine. But like uh, when the Ashes come up, or you yeah. know, like you, you don't want somebody fighting their instincts yeah. so, because they're, they're, yeah. they're concentrating so much on not doing something that yeah. you know they could always there's always a mistake in there. So part part but, of this kind of hope that he he basically spent he's basically gone around the world and become the best twenty twenty cricket that he can be. Part of me yeah. just kind of thinks that maybe as he gets a bit older, he'll want to 
sort of like if he's made, he'll have made, and rightly so, he'll have made a lot of money from playing, you know, in all the T20 leagues around the world um, with the T20 World Cup either this year or whenever it actually takes place. Yeah. Part of me would want to keep him in the test setup just because ideally then after that he would sort of start concentrating again on on test cricket again. And that that for me yeah. would be the sort of ideal scenario. Um, but if Ben, if Ben, <laughs> uh, if Folks came in as a wicketkeeper, I wouldn't be too unhappy because I think he's a... So- we're talking about just t- talking about wicket keeping just for a second. Yeah. So you're saying, folks, so where does Bearstow figure in your? I mean, he's not he's not in the squad for this this yeah. this series. But like looking at the Ashes, for example, would would Bearstow be in your squad, or would you go with Butler and folks, or no, would I, you? I do think, yeah, I do think I think he just he he needs to work on his. I've not seen anything from him batting wise that would make me think that that he he he, he looks like he doesn't look like he didn't look like a test batsman for the last yeah for a while has he last couple of years to be honest he was. I remember when he, he it was oh, even back when Rue got his got a century and he got a half century in the same game. He looked like he was kind of like on the kind of same uh, uh, sorry uh, uh, headingly one year and um, Rue got a century and he got a half century two Yorkshiremen together. And it looked like he was kind of on that same trajectory of being like a number four batsman for England or a number three potentially or definitely like a, yeah. being able to get in there as a specialised batsman. But then he kind of became wicketkeeper batsman and um, and and again became one of the best one day players in the world. But I do think I do think he's had a it's had an it has had a negative effect on his kind of um, test batting and the the number of times he got bowled like getting bowled out playing a big big shot at a ball that wasn't there to be smashed and that's not what you want from especially in that kind of position yeah you, you can play you can play like Adam Gilchrist if you've got <laughs> if you've got quality players around you if you're coming in late down and we need you in England need you to kind of think about it and and work the ball around you can't go and try and swing swing for the fences and get out as much as he does. Um, so, yeah, so unfortunately, I think Besto, and, and, you know, if whenever the well, the cricket season resuming on the 1st of August as well, if he goes away and scores a whole bunch of runs for, for York, yes. if he can do that, that'd be great. And, you know, maybe he does get back in for the Ashes in sort of at the end of next year. But um, I think at the minute, it's, I think, Butler with the gloves and Folks as the... Uh, Folks as the, the guy coming in. The guy, okay. He, he may come in for the, this kind of one. Okay, so we are into the attack now. So you've yeah. got four spaces left and yeah. you've got six bowlers. <laughs> well, that's, that's the big problem, isn't it? Like, I think... So I think we put Anderson in at 11, right? Because yeah. that, that's, so, that's a no-brainer, isn't it? So I, I definitely choose I choose Anderson. However, yeah. I, I've got a sneaking feeling they might, even though he's played at Old Trafford, I've got a sneaking feeling they might not play him at Old Trafford. Um, I just think because... I think they're going to want to play spinner. So then all of a sudden, you, and with Stokes, that means you don't like three. You don't have three sort of pace bowlers. I don't think. I think Jofra Archer is the future of English cricket, pretty much. In the yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I also think he could develop into a, a really, a really impressive lower order batsman in the way that Stuart Broad was at one place before he got. Yeah. Before he got his uh, face broken by a, a bouncer and he's never really been able to recover from from that. Um, I think he. I think. We haven't seen it really for England. I mean, he's shown certain flashes in the sort of in sort of his at the death batting in in sort of T Twenty. He's shown again, he's shown a level of skill that I think can translate in the Test batting eventually. Um, but so I, th- I think I think you put in Anderson. I think you have to play Archer. So you where would you put Archer at nine? Uh, yeah, I think, yeah. So I, th- I think I think Archer as well. The pace has got skill, has got can, can move the ball and reverse swing it. So even if the pace isn't in the pitch, he can still be very dangerous. Um, which I don't think Mark Wood quite has that kind of level of skill. Um, yeah. So I think so. Also, you've got one. So so if, I, if I've got Archer at nine and Anderson at eleven, I think I would go with. I think I would go with um, with Stuart Broad in at number ten. Yeah. Um, uh, it just. I think he's. I think we, we need to. We need to. We need to take twenty wickets, and I think yeah. he's, he's the guy that's going to do it this time. Um, 
Uh, so that means, for me, that means that Chris Wokes misses out, and he's a cricketer I really, really like. I think he's, yeah, almost, he's, a, yeah. he's almost like an all-rounder with his, his kind of batting. I think Sam Curran as well is one of the future sort of stars of English cricket. Um, it's the control he has with his with his bowling, and I think he, he could be a, developing a, a genuine all-rounder that could back at, back at number six or something and, and be like, maybe not quite as... What Ben Stokes says now, essentially. Yeah, yeah. That, that sort of like... That sort of level, um, but but I think he, but he misses out again. I think for me, and I think you have to go for him um, uh, for a, so we put a spin on as well. I think I think we go with Jack Leach this time. I just okay. think slightly more aggressive kind of bowler. But so he, best misses out as well then. He does, yeah. This time best miss, and as much as I really mm. do like him as, as a, and again, I think best Curran and kind of the Crawley and Sibley are sort of will play three or four, five, six Ashes kind of series between them. Yeah, we don't remember quite that many, but. You know, I think they're the next decade of sort of, of English cricket is kind of being built around those kind of players. Um, but I just think, I just think as much as we have to look for the future, we do need to kind of win games now. Yeah, exactly. Say, at the end of the day, you've got to take 20 wickets, don't you? And, yeah, yeah. Um, and especially having lost the first match. If we lose this one, then we're out. It's all over. So I think Broad plays this one. Um, I think maybe Anderson might drop out of either this one or the last game. I won't be surprised if he gets dropped for one of the... I'll be surprised if I found some players all three games. Um, so we might see Curran or, or um, Mark Wood come back in at the but yeah, I'd go with Jack Jack Leach for this one. Uh, so, okay. so some of my, some of my one, to, one to eleven would be uh, Rory Burns and Dominic Sibley yep. uh, opening. Then Zach Crawley, Joe Root, Ben Stoke. Um, uh, and it was yeah, oh, yeah. I would go with Ollie Pope. I'd, we, I suppose again, they might look at different batting options there. But I think Ollie Pope's the uh, yeah, he'd be one I include like as for the next decade yep. as well, which is just like oh yeah, definitely real real skill. Um, Josh Butler as the wicketkeeper, and then. Yeah, it's kind of a bit of a long tail, to be honest, isn't it? But it's uh, yeah, it's a uh, Jack Leach, Joffre Archer, Broad, and Anderson. Um, yeah, that kind of be it. Yeah, yeah. Well, as I say, yeah, you're right. So, do you think like how do you, well, if the root back is going to be huge? Like if he, oh, yeah. um, yeah. if if he comes back and gets in, then mm-hmm. especially when it gets out, if if, if root and Stokes get in together, then we're uh, mm-hmm. we could see something pretty special. But um, yeah, so are you confident of a? Of a, a series levelling one, I think so. Yeah, I just think um, I think England will correct the kind of mistakes they made. And I think it's a lot of it is about putting experience into that top order. It's just there's just matches and repetition, and I think their their sort of averages are going to grow as the, as they kind of grow into international cricket more. Um, yeah, I do think the West Indies are. I think we've kind of seen them sort of a few years ago being absolutely dreadful and players not bothering to turn up for the test team because they're all only interested in quite rightly so if if they're sure yeah, yeah. they're not going to get paid very much to play in national cricket you know as much as we all say that oh you should want to play for your country if you know it's the difference being able to earn a hundred thousand pounds playing t20 cricket or or single figure or hundreds of pounds playing in national yeah, cricket, playing, yeah, which, so is, which is the reality yeah. of kind of like where west indies cricket kind of is unfortunately um Oh, sorry, sorry, that's the kind of way they were a few years ago. But this West Indies team is a very skillful um, sort of team, and I, I, I wouldn't want to use the, the sort of name, uh, sort of words like bogey team, but they do seem to have a almost have England's number when it comes to yeah. They, they won in the the one uh, the the kind of home series for them last year, and a, a few years ago again they they won again, and um, they do seem to be. Oh, sorry, there was a draw drawn series a few years ago. That's right, and, but I think the the, the thing is as well as like. England, if you look at how bad England were in the first innings, right? Yeah. They were only, they were still only, what, 100, you said 100 runs short, probably? Yeah, yeah, it's like uh, yeah. And uh, so that's only like, they were, if they'd got an extra 50 runs in that first one, an extra yeah. 50 runs in this, it's not that 
they weren't that far yeah, away. Yeah, yeah. And that's how bad England were in the first innings. <laughs> West Indies didn't really show anything that suggested that they were going to be particularly difficult to deal with. I mean, what, it was 118 they were in the first innings. Yeah. 318, sorry, which, you know, on English soil, English should be able to beat that, you know. Yeah. I, I, um, think, I do think that is, that is how good West Indies can play. And they did play yeah. well. But I think their sort of ceiling above that isn't that much more. Yeah. Whereas I think England have definitely got more gears to find that can they can definitely up their performance a lot more than I think West Indies can do. I think because of Absolutely. that, they do think they'll they'll win this game and it'll set up a good. I don't. It's not going to be an easy win, definitely, but I think it'll unless there's any sort of any more collapses from either side, it should set up hopefully two. Well, it, hopefully we'll have two more competitive, exciting games of cricket. As long as the weather holds off, it should be a... Well, absolutely. Well, I've, I've, yeah. I'm off on Thursday and Friday, so you know it's going to rain. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Of course, yeah, definitely. So, um, But yeah, so that is the cricket. I think that's going to do it for tonight. I think we'll, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. we will be back on uh, Thursday, hopefully with Dan and Rich, um, yes. to uh, talk about what we do best or better. I don't know if it's better or worse, who knows? Uh, but we'll be talking about films uh, again. Um I have uh, enjoyed this immensely, James, I would have to say. Um, Apart from John McGinley, who's going to (laughs) haunt me uh, to my very dying day. Um, so when we are, uh, we'll be back next week. As I say, we will talk more about uh, Scottish football and the disaster that is that. We will hopefully uh, reflect on an England win against the West Indies uh, and talk about the third test, which will be coming up. Um, and uh, hopefully there'll be a lot more uh, sport to talk about uh talk about then. Uh, just one thing I, I, I wanted to mention before we go is that uh, the Sky presenter Dave Clark um, who has uh, presented the darts for the last oh, I don't know, long long time um, he has stepped down from Sky because he has been battling Parkinson's disease for the last uh, 10 years um, and uh, he kind of has gone out on his own terms, he's kind of uh, said that you know it's getting too hard for him and he didn't want mm-hmm. to get caught out on screen and sort of um, let himself and the fans down and everything like that. And uh, like, I, To be honest, I've watched darts for, for years and, and criminally, and I didn't even know the guy was sick. That's how mm-hmm. sort of how, how well he's done in the last sort of few years. Um, but it's just not going to be the same without him, you know? And it's uh, it was just... It, on uh, the football the other night... Uh, Another Sky presenter sort of paid a bit of tribute to him, and it, it was it was kind of quite emotional. So, just wanted to do a nice shout out to Dave Clark, who uh, who stepped down from the darts uh, presenting uh, this week. So, all the best to you, mate, and I hope. Uh, and obviously, obviously, Dave Clark's going to be listening to this podcast. <laughs> who doesn't? Um, but obviously, wish him all the best in his ongoing battle with Parkinson's. So, um, on that note. Um, James, it's been a pleasure. Um, I will see you soon for the film podcast and next week for the sport. So thank yes. you very much. Yeah, it's, it's been great. It's been great to talk about talk about this and uh, can't, can't wait till the next time. Good man. Cool. And thank you very much for listening. I will see you very soon. Thank you.
Okay, so, yeah, yeah. so there's a head. The headline was "Hearts and Thistle are incredulous at being brought up by," and I was like, "Why are you incredulous? Like, all you needed to do was read the rules. 